<laughs> Valerie. Oh my God, you saved a burp. I saved it. <laughs> What's happening, weirdo? Sorry for the bad. Oh. Don't burp again. <laughs> Just dead serious. Don't. Don't do it. Stop. Don't burp again. <laughs> Um, it's, uh, boy, we're cold. We're in, we're in New York. <laughs> we're so cold. <laughs> we're so cold. We just, we just saw it to kill a mockingbird. Oh. If you're in New York City, you gotta go. You it was so good. It was so good. But we walked back to our place and we are we so cold. We walked 14 blocks and it's gotta be like, you think like the 30 degrees? I have no gauge. It's probably 1930s degrees. Oh. <laughs> Ugh. Anyway, this is Lewis Black. It's by, I'm not kidding, by the way. If you're near just a, an unpaid sponsorship here to Kill a Mockingbird, Ed Harris. Ed Harris is so good in it. Ed, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, fave. Yeah. He's Moss, for those who know. Anyway, uh, I'm touring around. That's why I'm in New York City. I just did the Murmur Theater in Brooklyn. Thank you to all the weirdos that came out. John Mulaney was a special guest. Mm-hmm. What a treat. Uh, we have more dates, not me and John, but me and Laura Bites are going to be in Cary, North Carolina, Orlando, Florida, Brea, California, Oxnard, or I- I've been told it's called The Nard. No. I don't know if that's true. <laughs> you have not been told that. <laughs> Somebody tweeted it to me. You're going to The Nard. The Nard. I that never can't heard be real. That. Oxnard. Uh, Cleveland or The Land? <laughs> Cleveland and Houston are all announced. There are more dates coming. So depending on when you hear this, go to PeteHolmes.com for more tickets to the Silly Silly Fun Boy uh, tour, which I'm super stoked about. It's going really, really well. Um, I also, I was so happy to meet Lewis Black. We had never met, but this is what I would call a classic, a classic You Made It Weird, because by the end of it, we really felt like friends. Yeah, you really loved him. I I loved him so much. He did not disappoint. So let's get to it quickly. As you know, we don't do ads on the show. I only promote things that I use and love every, uh, every day. That's absolutely true. The first is Alpha Brain, which is a nootropic. It, it's, uh, it, you know this, Val. Yep. Fish food for your for brain, brain, for your for ideas. ideas. How dare How you? you? <laughs> it's earth-grown ingredients. It's not a stimulant. It helps you with concentration, memory, and focus. God, I wish I had Alpha Brain in college. I'm not even reading a script. This is off the dome. I use it before I do stand-up. I use it before I do podcasts. I use it before I write scripts. I use it when I'm acting. I sometimes even take it before I go to bed because it gives me cool dreams. I love Alpha Brain. I swear by Alpha Brain. I, I, for four or five years now, I always have them on me. Val can attest to that. Yep. Sometimes I have the powder and I just take it straight into my gullet. And if I don't take it, you absolutely notice a difference. This is not subperceptual. This is something that I feel as reliably as, as a cup of coffee, but it's not like coffee because it doesn't keep you awake. It doesn't make you jittery. It doesn't make me anxious. It just helps me think. It's incredible. I love it. I swear by it. I love the powder form. I love the pill form. Go to onit, O-N-N-I-T dot com slash weird, and you will get 10% off your purchase and show your support of this podcast. Alpha Brain is one of the original oh, piece picks I because I love it. it. I, I take it, too, before my dance class. 
and Val has to do her dance class, which is called Wild and Free. Yeah, I like how I wedged that you in there. You wedged it right in. I love Sundays it. Sundays at 11.30. Sundays at 11.30. Val teaches a class called Wild and Free, and you have to do complicated dance routines, and you take Alpha Brain before that. So I can remember the choreography and just be sharper while I'm guiding meditations. That's right. And I took it, no fooling, before we went to this play so I could focus. Oh, I thought you seemed kind of on it. Oh, my God. <laughs> Onit.com. Slash weird. <laughs> How dare you. The second pizza pick is Charlotte's Web Hempoil. People tweet at me all the time that, that they've heard me say that Hempoil is not weed. It's not. It's yeah. made from weed, but they use science to remove the THC and they leave the body and brain beneficial CBD God, I love Charlotte's Web hemp oil, especially when I'm stressed, especially when I'm working and I want to take some of the edge off, but I want to be able to stay focused, stay sharp, stay creative. But it gives me a happy, healthy glow. It makes me a little bit sillier. I'm going to be honest. It makes me a little bit sillier because I'm a little bit lighter, a little bit happier, a little bit flowing more with what I'm trying to do. So it is definitely a plant ally, hemp being the plant, the plant and it is an ally it is a mood elevator. It is an anxiety reducer. This is for me. I love it when I'm traveling. I love it when I'm just hanging out at home. But the best thing about it is if I do have to work, if I do have to focus, it doesn't get in the way. It just sort of helps me rise above those stressful and negative feelings that can uh, bring me down in my day. So it is wonderful. They also make uh, topical bombs, balms. Uh, that are wonderful for a soothing feeling on your skin so you can get hemp onto you topically. But I get the um, original formula mint chocolate. It's a little bit more expensive, but you can literally just take drops of it and feel those wonderful effects. Go to cwhemp.com slash weird and use promo code Keep it crispy. Nineteen. The final one is cachava. Cachava. Cachava is a superfood drink mix that I and I also say that even Val likes. That is that is the selling it's point. Terrible. But you don't like all the weird, uh, dumb health superfood things that I eat. Except you do like cachava, and cachava is a superfood drink mix that's good enough to make just with water. I travel with it. We're traveling with it right now. Like, like it's the baby. I have cachava. Mm-hmm. I have Leela. And then we have a shake bottle and my cachava. You put it in there just with water. You shake it up. It's got powdered coconut milk in there, so it makes it um, creamy and delicious and chocolatey or vanilla-y. Mm-hmm. I had the vanilla recently. Did you like? I really what, liked it. What if it. you didn't like it? It wasn't for me. <laughs> Was it? <laughs> no, I li- no, I really liked it. I mix them together for cachava. A swirl. Oreo swirl. That's oh. unofficially my title. It's 100, 100% plant-based. It's got omega-3s from chia and flax, not anonymous weird bottom-dwelling fish, as I like to say. Eight superfruits, 17 greens and veggies right in there. Always hard to find greens and veggies when I'm traveling. It's right there in the bag. Gluten-free, soy-free, no artificial sweeteners or preservatives. It's got just enough coconut nectar in there to be sweet, but it is a low glycemic sweetener. It's got digestive support, 1,000 micrograms milligrams, excuse me, of adaptogens, 24 grams of plant-based protein, nine grams of fiber. For people that are curious about how to get more plant-based nutrition in their lives and feel better, get that high that you get from overloading basically your body with nutrition, I always point them to cachava. It's actually delicious. It makes you feel amazing. As I like to say, people tease me about this too. I got it to add to my smoothie, but it turns out it is the smoothie. It's the smoothie replacement. It's a meal and a pill as close as I've come. It's a meal replacement. A lot of people take it for uh, 
basically health management, weight management. I just take it because it makes me feel fantastic and it fills me up. Go to Kachava, K-A-C-H-A-V-A dot com slash weird for 20% off. Can you believe it? All right, let's get to Lewis Black. Hope to see you in North Carolina, Orlando, Brea, Oxnard, Cleveland, or Houston. We're in New York, so I'll say Houston. And enjoy the wonderful Lewis Black. Val, under eight minutes. What do you think? I'm going to say it with my finger. Get into it. Oh, boy. Oh, because it's Lewis. Yeah. I love it. I was just just on the phone. You saw me hang up like a guy in first class. You know that Brian Regan bit where he's like, we're making money right now. They're all on phone. (laughs) I felt like a real hot shot that I was on the phone when you came in. I was talking to Mulaney and we were talking about the phenomenon of when you date, uh, especially early on, when someone dates a comedian and lives with a comedian and gets a real glimpse at what it is to be a comedian. I said, these are my words, they'd be insane to not be jealous. Like that happened with every girl that I dated in my twenties and and thirty. Yeah. Well, really, my thirties. Once they saw what we were up to, you're saying we're, we're he has to do real work. When they saw that this is all we're fucking doing, yeah. you'd be insane to not be like, "How do I? That's a job. Yeah, I know. you can just fart around. You know what I have to do today? And I'm in a bad mood because I feel busy. This, yeah, this is it." crazy no i know do you feel that way i mean you've been doing it longer than i have but i mean does it still feel sweet as the sweetest plum no because tell me um what 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 happens is that the interviews which i don't mind doing this is yeah this is not an interview i understand okay this is but this you're doing press yeah but the press stuff yeah which i don't mind doing okay but it becomes there just reaches a point where sometimes, and it really is, this is really, you know, that kind of, you know, it's, it's the first world problem shit. But it, and, but it's, but it's not a first world problem because um, it's a different world. It's a no world. Problem. It's a no world. <laughs> this is we don't even have a world. There's, There's no world to put this. Yeah. yeah. And you start, you, and all of a sudden, you're kind of rolling along, and you're doing your shows, and I, I mean, I do three or four shows and then the, you you know and then you got to fill the seats so you got to do these interviews and interviews yeah. and interviews yeah. and interviews and there are just times when there's just it's like we're going to do 3 hours of interviews today you know and then you've added another fourth hour when can we do this and all of a sudden you really you know travel is a, is a lost day yeah it, you know whatever they say it's i consider i, I have always considered for the longest time initially especially when i broke into comedy i was being paid to fly t- from New York to yeah. Phoenix, yeah, that's and fly the money. back, and that was what I was being. The rest was everyone knows who listens to this podcast knows. I'm going to quote BB King. Do you know the BB King quote? No, it says I do the shows for free. They pay me to travel. It's yeah, right exactly. out of your own brain. Yeah, but that's exactly it. But that is it. And then and then and then when they start to you know, and then all of a sudden when it just becomes a jam where every. You you fly home, then you do th- you know like th- three hours of this, and then two hours the next day. Yeah, and it just becomes like you know I just and I you know what I really want to do after I've stood there and talked in front of people is talk about myself. Yeah, I really want to. Yeah, be, you know just show you how Buddy, it's like it's like that thing that we had maybe I'm projecting as kids that wanted the stage. It's almost like there's that Simpsons episode where they Homer goes to hell and they're like, "You like donuts? How about all the donuts in the world?" <laughs> yeah. And it's it's like I've gotten to the point where I'm like, this is too much 
me, which I didn't know I had a limit, but you're helping but me remember. Of course, there is. There is a limit, and then and then and it hurts the show too. If you if you're talking too much about yourself, and then you see those strangers or the audience, yeah. and you're like, I I don't know. I've been talking too much about this. What are you guys doing? And then you have to tell them, and then they go, what What about, you know, so what is your, you know, what's the new show about? Well, you know, I can't tell you what the, you know, I can tell you this much about what the new show's about. Yeah. You know, some of this has got to be a surprise. I wrote a book, and every author that I talked to talking about book press was like, they're all going to say, what's it about? And you're like, read the, read, read the book. Yeah. I feel like I'm catching your persona. <laughs> <laughs> You'll have it by the end. You'll have it by the end, and you'll get Louis Black contagious, and it will get ten. You'll get ten percent more show. <laughs> I do feel like people around you must feel more comfortable. It's a real gift, comedians. I know it's not who you completely are, right? But it's a gift. I think it's one of the reasons why we like being with comedians, and we like comedians is we go like, I don't have to feel weird if I want to be like read the book. Like that's that's a gift you give people. Yeah. It's like a mask. You're like, would you like to wear the mask while you're around me? Yeah. Yes, I would. And run around and scream. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a, we're very lucky in that sense. And I don't um uh but and I, I and I really what I also like is to spend time with people who don't do any of this. Yeah. That's that's me more and more. You know, which is even better because then they you actually hear conversations yeah. about things that yeah. matter. And you remember, like, not everybody is, is has the same sort of limited, boxed-in. We're very free in our thinking, but we're very boxed-in in how free we are. Yeah, that I mean, because it's a small, you know, because it really is that there's just that. And but, again, but the one thing I wanted to get back to before we left that press thing that you know is, the which I had yesterday, and is, and I think will become more so, but has been... Rarer than I expected. Yeah, was uh, the person who knew nothing. So uh, yeah, so you've been doing this. You know, when, when was now? I'm from Maryland. Yeah, uh, I'm doing an interview for a benefit in in Baltimore, and uh, it's 25 minutes from where I was. My 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 mother is, is living in an assisted living situation out there. Mm-hmm. All of this is information that is you know I do I go there. Uh, I go to the D.C. or Baltimore, you know, so it's once a year I'm around there. Yeah. Yak, yak, fuck, fuck, yak, yak, yak. <laughs> Here I'm coming. So it's all I out I hope there. he opens with fuck. <laughs> and he closed with it, too. <laughs> it was a callback. <laughs> so, it's all, so it's all out there. And yeah. she goes, so... So, have you been to Baltimore? I can't. And you kind of go, and that's the first question. You go, yeah. oh my God, this is a half hour interview if yeah. that's where we're starting. I have that with my family a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I'm sorry to keep quoting this conversation, but Melania and I, I was saying that a random fan of mine, in a way, knows a thousand times more about who I really am than some members of my family who will remain nameless. <laughs> I'll let you say it's not my mom. <laughs> they, A fan would know more. I guess what I'm saying is what hurts about that interview is that we sort of got into this, at least I did, partially because of a compulsion to be known. You know what I mean? There's yeah. like a feeling of I'm here. 
we were talking about Marin as you came in. Marin, when yeah. I asked him why he did stand up, he was like, "I'm here!" Like he wants to kind of like show, and I I needed that too. And then it gets like kind of thrown back in your face. No matter what you do, some people are just going to be the way they are. Some interviewers are going to be bad, and some members of your family are never going to necessarily. But, but see this you. is a, we're at a time frame where you know you can go. You know, half of what you need to write is already there. What do you mean? You know, that you go on Google. Oh, yeah, it's a Google it's, away. It's a Google. How did people so, do this in so the then 80s? You get four. The know, library? Yeah, exactly. I don't know. <laughs> Give me the Lewis Black book. <laughs> I remember craving a, a Letterman biography or something. This was in the 90s. I, I was interested in comedy. Yeah. When Seinfeld wrote his book, I was like, there's a book. Like, now you can just Google it. What did Jerry Seinfeld say about starting out in comedy? Yeah. Well, here's a video of him talking to Barbara Walters yeah. in the early 90s. It's, it's so easy. But, so you wonder, press- but you wonder where these, um, where's this, this person, this person obviously either is, he went to a, went, it must have thought, Something. I want to be a journalist. At some point. You want to take, touch them on the back of their hand on the table and just be like, where did you lose it? Yeah. Because there was a young person that wanted to do this. But this is early. She's, <laughs> this is, you know, these are the young ones well, coming Louis, through. I don't want to call you Louis. Louis. That's all you can call me. You know. Do people call you Louis? Some people have called me Louis. I've I just. One friend who calls me Louis. I just, I like to force familiarity. I hope so. <laughs> And then I'll look over my shoulder and see who you're talking There's another Louis. <laughs> um, what I was saying was, uh, I feel a little bit in my own Louis Black persona when you go to the Home Depot, all the kids, remember you go to the Home Depot in the 80s and 90s, everyone there could build a shed and did during yeah. their coffee break. They yeah. were just like, I just love this stuff. And now I go, and it's a bunch of people with gauged ears and a face tattoo, and they don't know where the where the things are. Like I sound like my dad, but I'm 40. It's just happening. I yeah, know it is happening. It's and happening the, everywhere. But I journalists. I have never been to a Home Depot. Oh, ever? Why is that? Because you live in the city. Uh, I'm Jewish. That's why they have that little basket for the yarmulkes when you walk in. Please remove any Judaism before you come into this. Is that that it's, is so funny? It's because uh, I've said it time and again. I, you know, there are I have friends who are you know with the, who are Jewish who can work with tools, but for me, Jesus, yes, he was the. You, they saw what happened. Yes, you see what happens when we're handy. <laughs> you know, well, for me, it was never. Uh, I just it was Jews with tools. It was like no. Yeah, I nearly. I mean, the only thing that I ever nearly failed, you know, was wood shop. Yeah, industrial. I can't arts, believe you had to take industrial arts. Yeah, because yeah. back then they actually were trying to teach a skill. Yeah, and, well, and it was kind of smart actually to do it. But I was horrific. Well, there was always like the the fifteen year old kid that was chain smoking. You were like, I'm glad Bradley's in this class. Yes, this is good for Bradley. <laughs> yeah. I thought I was going to have to take woodshop and home ec and all the things because TV was written by people of that generation that were writing in high schools where they had to take home ec and, yeah. and woodshop. And then I got, I also thought we were all going to have to shower together. There are all these things <laughs> that I, that were based on like basically the 60s and 70s that by the time I got there, that had all been wiped well, out. Yeah, no, the, My gym teacher did not call me the F word. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like it was very, it was gentler by the time I yeah. was in school. But it wasn't bad. Jim, Jim actually was pretty good. But, and even, but industrial, the only reason that we got through industrial arts is because you had to have a notebook. What you, was, and you had to make a notebook of things, you know, of like, uh, you know, here are the tools, here are the this, here are the. I mean, so you were good at the notes. I was, yeah, it was phenomenal. Yeah, 
I could tell you the things that I, I could show you the shit I couldn't use. Yeah. <laughs> I can diagram it and explain it to someone who can do yes. it. I, I only go to Home Depot for uh, like a light bulb. I don't want you to mistake me. No, it sounded Take like you were up to, no. up to the stuff. You My know. dad was going for it. You know, like he, he was sort of, I wonder how much he really was a man's man. He certainly looks and acts like a man's man. But I, with, man, with men's men, I'm always wondering like how much of this is a persona? How much of this, and I think they would tell you, some of it is bullshit. That they're just sort of, it's the fan belt. Yeah. It's the fan belt. You know, like, they're, they're just trying real hard. Yeah, they've, my, my father was... Uh, Andy? It was Andy. Um, I think you had to be? Yeah. Right? Well, yeah, and it was, you know... And, there was no uh, task well, you did, I mean, because you had to... It was money. Yeah, right. You know, and... Uh, and my friend, of, this is a, my, I have a close friend. One of my close friends is Mark Lynn Baker, Perfect Strangers. Mm-hmm. Like years, I've known him for years, and all of a sudden, because uh, he's a it, theater guy, and you're a theater. Yeah, 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 exactly. yeah br- brilliant theater people. And we went to the we went Chicago. To, we, yeah, no, out of uh, drama school. Yeah, I'm sorry, uh, Steppenwolf or bust. Get out of here. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm 100 percent JK. That's um, funny. <laughs> It's I'm, good, a, I'm a purist. It, it probably would have been better. I probably would be doing better now. Um, yeah, if you had been in... Because yeah. I love Chicago, but I feel like if there was like a real New York flavor that came in and was like, I'm writing some plays, they'd be like, get this man a stage! <laughs> yeah. Like, I feel like they like uh, imports. They, well, they were good. I mean, yeah. they're still good. But, yeah. they, but, uh, no, I saw some great stuff. But there. he... I, I didn't realize till really about five years ago, ten years ago, that he actually makes shit, makes furniture and stuff. Oh, really? Yeah. In a Daniel Day Lewis sort of way, you know, DDL does that. Yeah, I know. He also makes shoes. shoes. Yeah, yeah. Because is... is it because of the DDL reason that he wants to do something that's not showbiz? No, no. He just loves. He doing just it. is. Yeah, and I he's mean, chosen. You know, it's unbelievable. I mean, it's, it's crazy. Yeah, and he's yeah. chosen. It's <laughs> completely <laughs> stupid. His hair is definitely looking. Oh yeah, it's very Hebrew curious. Yeah. <laughs> so he, so he, that's good. He's into it. <laughs> that's good. Well, you can have Hebrew curious. I can, I can say that here. It's well, all context. Good. Yeah, no, it's I'm going to steal that if I remember it. I don't remember it. It'll come back at some point. Do I, I, and then I'll have a debate whether I'm stealing it, and I won't remember it. Well, that's why I'm you. I'm giving you the green light right. here on the record. Yeah, because there's so many things that we say on the show that I'm like, it just won't work if I'm not talking to you. Yeah. If, I'm on, if I'm on stage and I'm like, Hebrew curious, people are like, I don't know about this. I don't know if this face can say Hebrew curious. Maybe I could. How long have you been out here? In L.A.? Mm-hmm. Nine years. Nine yeah. years, yeah. And I was in Brooklyn for about seven before this. And then, and you're still in New York. Yeah, this never uh, worked. Never into it. That's why The Daily Show, what a, may I? What a mitzvah. Yeah. <laughs> that there yeah. was a show. Wow, if you start, if, <laughs> when you start, when you get, <laughs> when, the more phlegm that comes into your voice. How are you celebrating good. Sukkot this year? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's my tabernacle. That's a sauna. Um, <laughs> I just remember when I was in New York, you'd hope that the great sketch guys would get SNL. Yeah. And, you, and there, there was a feeling of, you know, it's it's like a corner of show business. I'm not putting it down. But when there was 30 Rock, and then there was Daily Show, and there was SNL. And for a time, I think it might be different now. But there was a time that it was like, that was sort of it. Otherwise, you were going to have to leave. Yeah. So for a guy like you, that I feel like New York is your son to Superman. Like, you sort of want... I want you there. You here. 
I don't no, know. I never did. did you start wearing linen. Yeah, no, I never did. I mean, I just I didn't like it here. Yeah, uh, um, I always, uh, I always thought it was uh, creepy. Yeah, it is. And, You're picking uh, up on the zombie vibes we give out. Yeah, it's no. There was something <laughs> about it early on. Uh, I didn't like the amount of driving. Yeah, I know go, you to go to be tortured. Yeah, you mean like an audition or yeah, a, I mean, yeah. especially during because I. And, but even that, but initially I liked it. I mean, initially I, I, I dealt with it because, A, there wasn't a ton of traffic like yeah. now. Yeah. This is, we're talking, and it's, you know, it sounds like, you know, elderly, but it, was, it wasn't that long ago. It's 25 years ago. Yeah. It was still, there were a ton of people out here, but there was a ton of space. And you really? didn't have to drive. If you drove on Sunset, like during the day, there was not a ton of people on Sunset. No kidding. No. It was unbelievable. It was the difference was unbelievable. I stopped driving here. <laughs> I stopped driving in the city, and this—I mean, it used to be this became a bit in my act. But I was sitting in the car that picked me up from the airport to take me to wherever the fuck I, they were, the, wherever they were taking me to tell me that I was a piece of shit. You know, yes, was, yes. You know, oh, they're they're flying me to New York to tell me. I mean, to, to California to basically reject me. Yeah. Couldn't you just call me? Yeah. Couldn't that be a phone call? Yeah, really? I feel like we could have done this over the phone. <laughs> it's been Lewis, audiences find you prickly and unlikable. Yes. Click. And you're yes. like, well, at least I'm in my living room. Yeah, you're too much New Yorky. Oh, code. Yes, exactly. Code. Well, so, signed uh, the greatest show of all time was two New York, two New Yorkies. Yeah. So, so I um, who's chosen now? <laughs> so I go out to um, I go I go to I'm in the car going, and there's just too much traffic. Yeah, and I find myself in the back seat experiencing road rage, and I'm not driving, and I just went, <laughs> ball game's over. That is funny. I can't do this anymore. I lo- that is you. If I was writing a script, Lewis Black, parentheses, 50s. <laughs> That's very sweet. <laughs> the type of man who gets mad in traffic <coughs> as a passenger. Yes. And that's all I have to yes. write about you. Yes. But that's a real gift of your career. I mean, uh, Val and I were joking. We were like, she said, are you going to tell him how much you love Inside Out? Because we love Inside Out. And that to me is like, to get to the place where you're a color, I don't mean black. That that was yeah. very cute. I didn't mean that. Yeah. I meant like you're a color. You're a primary color. Yeah. You go, we need anger. Well, Lewis Black, he probably, let's see if he'll do it. I was going to say he won't do it. But maybe he'll do it because he's the perfect voice I was anger. the first pitch. I believe you were. Which was Who's really... the second? Balky? <laughs> you got me on Perfect Strangers. Who's the second? Jack Black? I mean, maybe. It was, it, no, I don't know. It was maybe Dennis Leary. Yeah, sure. Um, but I, I, I love Dennis. I think yeah. you have a softness about you that, that, that helps me there is be a Pixar. Weird, it You're likable. Yeah, there's a weird thing that I have. That Dennis I yell, is very but, good looking. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you, you have like a... Oh, Lewis is at it again. But it's yeah. not, okay, do we join your group? Like, yeah. there's no feeling of it that. It is a weird thing. Right? I've got a combo platter of, like, the the anger and the softness. And That's I don't right. know quite where it came from. Well, I don't think you could have known. I think it's just happening. Yeah. Some people, forgive me, I keep mentioning Seinfeld, but I rewatched your comedians uh, in cars yeah. to kind of get ready for today. Yeah. And also just because it's fun. And I was like, you, you were touching on that. Seinfeld said something like, a comedian is perfect when his face and his body and his act 
become one thing, like are in harmony, yeah. like kind of plays these three notes that makes this chord. And so many people are like, I sometimes see younger comedians and I'm like, no, look, look, look at what you are. Look at how you sound. Yeah. Look at what you were saying off stage before you went on stage and started doing the impression of the comedian you'd like to be. I think we know who you really are and you're really doing that. But there is a, there's a, there, the edges have been rounded, even though you're clearly ranting and all that sort of stuff. There's something where you go like, it's okay. Everything's okay. And I think that's really important. Yeah. There's a lot of guys that were clearly inspired by you or Hicks or whatever. that are up there pacing and you're like, this is, I'm not trying to be funny. This is the guy to keep an eye on. Like, I don't feel safe. <laughs> like, I'm glad we're near the well, exit. Well, it was funny because I used to, when I started yelling, um, when which did I didn't happen? do initially. Yeah, when did that happen? Uh it started about. When I've been you, doing when you were it on, driving in LA. I, 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 <laughs> That's when I started yelling. What a gift! <laughs> I was doing it on and off. I was not really because I was writing plays, so I was doing it on and off. And I <laughs> was, your, of, was your typewriter all caps only? <laughs> 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 These are Lewis Black Rose jokes. <laughs> <laughs> so it was. But I, I saw did, Lewis's keyboard. It's all caps. But I never wrote anything down when you were doing stand-up. Yeah, it was all just. It was stories I told. Yeah. And things that I ran into, and then I would work on the story, and it would be... Or I would rip things out of the newspaper and just go off on them. That's fine. And, uh, but when I started yelling, which was probably, you know, 10 years... You know, probably immediately I started... I would yell from time to time. But if I would yell, I would turn my back to the audience. What? yell, yeah. That is... Well, like Jim Morrison? <laughs> well, I just didn't know... Were you afraid of your own power? I just thought I just didn't know if they would, you know, that if they could handle me yelling. At yeah, them, yeah, you know, and I just, and I didn't know where to put it in, and I hadn't seen a comic really do it. How do you feel about yelling? This is this is a leading question, but I I, I get the sense that like a lot of the gruffer, I'm putting that in quotes, comedians are sweethearts, and they don't really like me. I like yelling on stage, but it took me a long time to get comfortable with yelling yeah. because I hate yelling. Like, like I grew up in a house, some yelling, Yeah. no yelling. I went on stage to be very sweet and be like, yeah. have you noticed that margarine comes in the pack? <laughs> do you think butter looks at margarine? This is made up, but do you, <laughs> hey, you stole my outfit. Like, do you think, and I just wanted it to be sweet. And then I started, even in my acting, like I felt uncomfortable. I can show you old, old, old sketches where I'm supposed to be mad. And it was like some of the hardest stuff I ever had to do. And then you sort of, did you have a period where you slowly realized like, Oh, not everybody is going to prickle or recoil if I get mad. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I knew that I had to. The, the once I knew that the yelling thing, how important that was for me, because that's when I'm funny. Yeah, but that did you? The, what what kept you from doing it? Why were you? I just didn't think it was funny. I because because um, it was learning the line of where it, it's playing anger. Right. So is there a line? So you cross the line. Right. They're not, you know. And what I was doing, which was really undermining my comedy, and I didn't realize it was, uh, since I wasn't yelling, I was doing the worst thing, which is sitting on the anger. Oh. So it's that kind of, that slow, you know, you know, I really, uh, you know, so I'm like <laughs> chewing. It's like a smoking volcano. Yeah. And, and it's not. It really doesn't leave the audience no comfort. Yeah. And then when I started yelling, I would start at like 
when I went on the road, I'd started, and I had no concept of what I was doing. Did the really. same bits work? You're now yelling the same bits? Work better. That's what it is. It's like I No, really- I mean, when I was doing, when I made, because the initial bits were all sex, all about my sex life, <laughs> everything. And then yelling about the fact that I was in the dark and nobody was helping me and it was clueless. My friends were clueless. And it was a different time. And it was like, you know, you know this whole thing about it's really amazing because really it was like no sense of what was, you know, the health class was like, are you shitting me? Yeah. Was, yeah everything yeah, yeah. was a mystery. Yeah. There was, a, I mean, I, the, the, one of the jokes, stupid, this is completely stupid, but true. Yeah. We're watching a film about, you know, venereal disease and uh, VD. The, and, uh, the original Valentine's The original, when, 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 you know, when penises were penises. <laughs> and, uh, and so the, 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 the VD thing, the, the woman, the, the doctor, literally there was a scene as the doctors told the woman she had VD. Uh, or the, told the man he had VD. I can't, yeah, told the man he had VD. And there was nothing wrong. And the, told the woman that she had VD and she had a sore on her lip. And that was it. And that's all you, that was what the takeaway They were was. like, you can get it through context. Yeah. Like but, a, like yeah, a French kind of, film. It took, but it took <laughs> us like an hour to figure it out. You know, it was like, what the fuck was that about? We need this explained very directly. Yeah, and you know, you slowly. can't just show us this footage. Yes. So you uh, didn't know what you were doing. I can, I can relate. I was married through my twenties. I grew up religious, and I, and then when I was in my thirties, what was the religion? What was regular? Regular religion. That's just my joke that it was just Christian, evangelical Christian. It's complete joke. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I was evangelical. Evangelical. So I got married when I was twenty-two. I'm not making this about me. I'm just saying when I was in my thirties, a lot of my jokes were like. How do you all know what you're doing? Yeah. I remember, I'm not trying to be funny. I was like, what, ha- what do you, do you bring a condom? Like, I didn't know. Like, I knew that guys had them in their wallets. That always seemed like it would make it not work yeah, somehow. Right, yeah. The magnetic strips on the credit well, cards or especially something. Especially after a year. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and then and I, that happened more than once in my life. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, where it broke because it was old? Oh, no, you take it out and just go, this is This is now. read the writing anymore. We could snort this if you want. <laughs> this is now disintegrated. I went on a date. I was, I was God, I was probably 30 years old. And I had... Because the first person I dated after my marriage was a comedian, so luckily, one of us, you can just speak frankly. Yeah. Next person I'm dating, I'm going out with them, I don't know what to do. In my front pocket of a collared shirt, that's where I put the condom. In the middle of the meal, I realized you could see the outline of it, like a sheriff's badge. Oh like, God. just like, this is what I think is happening. Like, <laughs> I needed so much help. Wow. And it sounded like you needed help. Yes. Wait. And you started yelling. Yes. And it started getting laughs. And then, but I didn't know. Initially, I would just do the sex and tell the stories, and those were funny. And then it was really about when I started talking about um, other things, politics and, uh, and the weather and stuff, and yeah. stuff I would read about in the, in the New York Post, uh, things that were just crazy. The crazier it got, the crazier things got, the more I started to yell. And then, but really, the turning point was a. A comic uh, named Dan Ballard, who worked out of Michigan, is a huge guy. He's, he's gotten out of comedy, but he he came up to me. I was I was running a room called the West Bank Cafe, and then downstairs, and we had this room. And every Saturday night in the village, hmm? is it in the village? Or no, it was on Forty Second between okay. 9th and Tenth. So it was all theater. We did a lot of one. That's right. Plays. You're in the other world. <laughs> we were totally. I was literally yeah. living. I mean, I literally lived in another world, and yeah. I did. 
I didn't go to clubs. Yeah. I did it all. I did all stand up in theaters because wow. I thought I was because it was a way to get writing out. So I never thought of it as, you know, that way it was like I was hiding behind the fact of like, um, for me, it was like I'm getting my writing done. Yeah. Because you're, otherwise you're mailing this shit to people and they're and it's lost. Were you trying space. things that would be in the play? Well, I was just writing, you know, yeah. so it was just being being able to write and yeah. get it out there. That's and then it I, became I more and more. writers that don't have the audience. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, like to write a play and then hope that at the rehearsal and you're listening and maybe you're in a different mood and you're like, I don't I don't know. This isn't working. Yeah. It's okay. not how I heard it. But on stage, you have the, the threat of bombing to motivate you. And then you get the reinforcement. I, yeah. I just don't understand people that don't have that outlet. Yeah, no. It's, no matter what you're doing. Well, this was... Uh, you know, more and more, uh, you know, even when I was writing plays, I would get people together to read stuff before. And that's the perfect. Long, the long, of course, that way back. And people, that's the way people deal with it now. They do workshops. Right. Now they workshop the shit to death. Right. So by the time you, you already hate the play before they get it up, you go, this is a <laughs> fuck me. I'm a loathsome piece of shit. I don't know why I started writing this. 12,000 people have told you 20,000 things. Yeah. But, the, but. For me, it was getting on stage and being able to just being able to to get my my writing out there. And I never thought of it uh, that I was going to be a stand up. Yeah, I, I was fascinated by the process, and and once I, and I I never thought I'd get over the uh, the hump of the the, the nervousness. Yeah. I, was, I could talk in front of a room filled with people for hours, but the idea of making them laugh and then that once. Well, they know when you're failing. That's what's different. Yeah. I used to, I used to have a save line where I was like, if this was a play, this is right up your alley. I'd do a joke and I'd go, if this was a play, everyone would just be like, maybe he's trying to be meaningful. Yeah. But when you're doing comedy, everyone knows you fail. Yeah. <laughs> like you're only trying to do one thing. Yes. And I'm like, maybe it's ironic or something, or it's subtle or a turd. <laughs> nope. I was trying to make you laugh and I failed. Yeah. So that's the difference. Yeah, it is. And the uh, but I always thought. Um, I was always kind of, you know, the more I did it, uh, because I didn't do the, 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 the thing in, in, uh, in the clubs where you'd be the opener, where you kind of be the, the guy who, the host. Yeah. The bullet. Yeah. And, and that would, would have, and so I started to do that. I introduced everything that went through in, uh, in in, the West Bank. So it was eight, I was there eight or nine years. Wow. Every show that opened, we'd do plays. I would stand on stage and go, you know, tonight you're going to see. And then I'd start writing jokes. For I love this. And then I got perfect. more and more and more comfortable. They don't expect me to be funny. This is your Beatles in Germany. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like you got to do it every night. Every night. No one gets this. And without the pressure of your following David Tell or, right. or if you, the, the booker is watching you and maybe they won't let you come back or whatever it is, yeah. you had a safe place. For me, that was camp and, and to a lesser extent church. You want a place where you can go up and just be like, you guys have to love me. It's in the book. Yeah. <laughs> you have to be gentle with me. Yeah. yeah. So you had that, but with yeah. theater, no one well, wants to theater, heckle. And also because I was producing these people. Yeah. And I was the playwright in residence, so I was the one who... And it would drive them nuts because there were times when I was funnier than the script that was following. Yeah. Your script. Yeah. <laughs> Where was that? <laughs> but I would say things like, you know... Uh, <coughs> 
this is the sound of the um, Kincaid fire. <laughs> That's what is that, it really? I believe it is. I laughed because I thought you just meant the sound of pluming smoke, which no, was just no. A funny but it end. was really. We but were you've been inhaling there. it. We were up there, not you know. We weren't in the thing, and the, but they kept saying, you know, you were in Napa two days ago mm. and Monterey, you know, and the, when it was burning, and everybody kept saying. You know, you're breathing smoke, and I'd go, no, nah, I don't really. No, you are. Wow. I was going to ask if you smoke, and you do. I don't anymore. No, but you do. No, you I smoke do. Yeah. wildfire. Yeah. And what pisses me <laughs> off is I used to smoke, and I didn't even get the joy of smoking the smoke. Now it's just like, now I'm getting all of the what the, the side effects are. Yeah. <clears throat> so excuse me. <clears throat> I just said, again, this conversation keeps coming up because it's fresh in my mind. I was talking to Mulaney. I was like, I smoked for one year, maybe a couple cigarettes. Did you a day. really? I know. You I don't really, even it doesn't appear, look like it. it doesn't no, look. you don't even have the smoker mentality. What was the anxiety? I don't understand. Was this after a divorce? It was after the okay, divorce. Okay, then, okay. And I'd like to have seen you then. <laughs> But you know what I was? I was early Lewis, where I was putting the bottle on the anger. Oh, is that right? I actually had a psychosomatic pain. I haven't talked about this. In my balls, like a bad play. No. Like my wife kicked me metaphorically no. in the balls, and my balls hurt. And it's because I didn't let the anger out. No. I'm not going to tell the whole story. It's boring. But the, isn't that crazy? No, that's, well, it's really unbelievable. I Because the lid was on, like yeah. that overboiling. Yeah. And and so of course I was drinking and smoking because I was and having fake conversations. This is this brings me back. You know what I mean? I would sit in my hotel room, drinking alone and smoking alone, uh, on a balcony in some shitty hotel, doing some college where my whole act was the margarine butter stuff. <laughs> and then I'd go back and I'd get drunk enough. And I'm not ashamed of this. It's something you should be ashamed of, maybe or, or embarrassed by. And I'd have like fake conversations, the things that I wished I could have said to my ex-wife who had an affair or, or my parents or whoever it was that I was having these feelings. That's not normal. Like I, the reason I like talking about it is because these nutty people, the nutty comedians come to the zoo and watch the animals. That's a healthy thing. I, I, in fact, I have no patience in my life for people that don't want to be like, you know, I, uh, I moved to Arizona now it sounds like I'm talking about my friend Chris. This is a fake example. <laughs> and it's so boring. I, I'm really, I'm, th- I'm thinking about ending it, you know, like just as yeah. a joke. Because I, I need to know that we're going to let the steam out. I, I don't want to sit in the room. Remember that board game that was like, and the pieces would pop up? Oh, yeah. What the fuck was that? I hated that thing. Yeah. I don't want to hang out with the human version of the. I don't need it. So it's a gift. I'm just back to a compliment for you. We need examples especially the pre-therapy stuff. It's like what you're doing on stage is therapy to be on stage and say, I'm overwhelmed with sex. You know, you know, like I'm not putting down non comedians. I'm just like a lot of people I knew one year in therapy, just small shit before they even get to. Yeah. When do I put the condom on? I'm so afraid. What if it goes bad? What if, what if I have a weird dick a year before they start cracking the big shit? I have to think comedians are the best patients. Well, we, well, yeah, but we're not the best patients because we're looking for the lab. <laughs> so stop it. We're, we're both taking notes? Yeah, yeah. Why are we both taking notes? Well, now I open my – I still talk to my therapist because she's just great to talk to. And I now do – the first 10 minutes I do is on her. 
Oh, really? Yeah. In your act right now? No, no. On, oh, on that's I'm funny. That's funny. I do. I give her 10 minutes of my advice. Well, you want to open up yeah, <laughs> the lines of communication. <laughs> because I go, we, I said, you know, I'm just, I'm basically, you know, like I'm depressed. I'm at, at a point, there's reasons that I'm depressed right now and we can talk about them. And we, but you I'm right still, now. Yeah. But I'm circling the depression and it's getting a little better, but there's not much more to say. So yeah. I take 10 minutes out of the time. <laughs> And I'm gonna. And so I'm so hoping it makes funny. me feel, and it makes me feel better, and I'm not dealing with my bullshit. Well, there is sort of an art to that. It's like let's not take anything too seriously. Yeah. My hero Ramdas, who's on the, he used to have these meetings about like starving people or huge world issues that they were trying to remedy, blindness in India or whatever. And when they would have the meeting, they'd put on Groucho Marx glasses, yeah. as if to say. The second we start taking ourselves too seriously, we're up our own asses and we're and it's an ego trip and it's just us masturbating basically. So let, let's keep it a little bit not too self-important, even though it is important, right? If that yeah. makes sense. So yeah. giving the the opening time to your your therapist makes sense. And the, but 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 to finish that to wrap up that uh, um, that anger thing. So so Dan Ballard said to yes. me, now I was getting. I had a ton of material. I was doing this stuff, but I still had not found the persona. Mm-hmm. And finding the persona, as you well know, is really difficult because it's close. It's the, it's you. <laughs> yeah, it's Luke Skywalker in the cave. Yeah, Vader's masks open up, yeah. opens up, and it's him. Yeah, that's and it, us. And it is. <laughs> that's and all of us. And you avoid it. Yeah. It's and it's the thing you talked about earlier. So when you're sitting with a young comic who's really funny sitting at the table, and they walk three feet and they're miserable. Lewis. I've quoted you. I just realized, a thou- Katie, a thousand times I've quoted you. I just remember. Uh, Don't make the mistake of being funnier off stage than you are on yeah, stage. That's yeah. something that was yeah. attributed to you. Yeah. And I've said it a thousand times. Maybe uh, it could be especially. It doesn't matter. But to the younger guys or whatever, the younger people, that is the big. Because I made that mistake. I'm yeah. off stage. I'm being cutting, dirty. A little bit mean sometimes. Then I'd go on stage. I'm doing the margarine shit. It's like, <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah. And I remember I was in stand up New York, and someone told me that quote. I, that's that's how hard it hit me. I remember where I was, and it hit me in the belly, and I was like, "Fuck me!" So you, I owe you a debt. That's a great quote. Uh, well, it's really I've forgotten. I even said it. I said, but I've said versions of it. Yeah. I've said, you know, you're what well, the, the difference between a. A comic and the person who thinks they're funny is the person who's sitting at the table three feet from the stage. It's the three feet you have to walk to be on the stage. Yeah, I like that. That's the only difference. I like that. You're funny here because the fucker sitting in front of you is laughing. You get up there, you've got to be funny in front of all those people. So now I'm getting getting comfortable up there. Yeah. uh, But I still have not really defined who I am and this friend of mine Dan Ballard comes up and he goes you son of a bitch he goes I'm yelling on stage the entire time he said and I have nothing my act and he's six foot six he's massive he's, his act would end with him putting a plumber's little tiny plumber helpers on his bald head <laughs> so which is a great I mean it's just spectacular it's one of those things you go those are the, little plungers yeah okay. little to big I gotta know, go they, to Home Depot they won't know what those are I know they, <laughs> but it's really it was one of those things that nobody had ever done it and it was yeah. you know and I'm I'm kind of every so often somebody does something with props and you go, well, fuck me. Yeah. That's phenomenal. I guess we were wrong. And he was funny and he's right. goofy funny. Right. And so he said, I'm up there screaming this shit and not, I'm, there's no reason for me to be yelling. 
You actually are angry. Yeah. I need you to go on stage and yell your entire act. Yeah. And I did. That's beautiful. And that was, it was like, oh, you fucking asshole. That's it. And that was it. And then this it was refining it we need over the other. next five years. Again, Mulaney, not in this phone call, but he was the one who said, you're like a fun dad. Like, do whatever you want. Just know that when we look at you, you look like a guy in a Hawaiian yeah. shirt at his daughter's first birthday that's like funnier than he should be. Like, he's sort of like, <laughs> why is this guy funnier? He's funnier than a dad, but he's corny and, and he's sweet, and you can either go with that or against that. But somebody from the outside had to say it. Yeah. So thank you, Dan Ballard. Dan Ballard. Dan Ballard. Yeah, yeah. Who I've Incredible. given credit to for it time and again. And here it is again. Yeah. We'll edit this out. But um, <laughs> you also started to say, please just bleep his name. Uh, <laughs> I want the story, but bleep his name. I'm kidding, of course. Uh, you went on the road. You started to say, and then I went on the road, and then I started saying something about myself. No, no, then I went on the road and started to refine it. And the, and the yelling brought it to life. Yeah, because I would be yelling. My friend Kathleen Madigan. Yep. Uh, who you know is a, a great comedian. She was opening for me. That's how we we met. And uh, and she said later on, a couple of about a number of years later, she said, you know, it was really amazing. She said, you go on stage, and you'd be yelling from the time you walked on stage until yeah. the, and and which I kind of was conscious of. <laughs> she said, but you, no, he said, no one in the audience. There was no laughs. You would just yell. Let me turn that off. It's probably, Only for the people that probably whoever for, has that phone. Someone listening is like, I keep. I thought it was on. Very important stuff. Oh, I, I've got to go. <laughs> I knew this would be. It would go viral. I've had, I, no, Louis Black my, takes call, leaves. My genitals are chipped. That's the sound of that. <laughs> it would be my. It would be Some my, people have watches. Well, so, so get the. Just put a shackle on. <laughs> just get the Apple shackles. <laughs> New from Apple, full <laughs> wrist and ankle shackles, so you will never be able to ignore a text again while you're at dinner with your fucking And usually I turn it off, and then, then I miss, usually the way it works is I miss 25 things, because yeah. it's off. I, I live in a world where it's always off, always on Do Not Disturb, I love yeah. Do Not Disturb, but then the reason I told you I was in a, a bad mood this morning was because things pile up, and now I'm replying to 50 things. Yeah. So I understand the people that are like, I'll just do it in month, minutely installments throughout the day. I do it every couple days. Same here. I'll reply to every email. I did uh, f- five this morning. Yeah. Then- I think my manager and the team are all like, well, Pete's at his computer. Like, because I'm replying to all these things I've missed. Like, think, like, oh, that, I missed a show. Like, I should have done that show. But that's the price I pay to try and be a little bit more present. <laughs> to, to quote you, <coughs> fuck off. <laughs> I'm Kathleen, so sorry. <clears throat> sorry. No, I'm sorry for you. Um, is there water? Yeah, we can get you a water. Do you I, want bubbles? They got me no? back here in this room and there's no water here. It's like a desert. <laughs> There's, as a matter of fact, I think I'm breathing asbestos. <laughs> we have oh, flat is good. Yeah. yeah, just regular. I'm good, thank you. Kathleen Mad. Kathleen Madigan. Um, she uh, she said it was interesting because she said, you know, you'd be gone for seven minutes and no no laughter in the room, and you were completely oblivious to it. You... And I thought they were laughing. Wow. It was just your inhales. Yeah. <laughs> it was your mid-rant inhales that you thought were thunderous really? laughter. Exactly. And then, it, and then she said, then they finally realized He's it kidding. was an act. He's kidding. Yeah. There, there's a lot of acts. I, I remember working with a guy who did a lot of filthy one-liners, and he, and he struggled with like 
cueing them in like this is what I'm doing. Especially the, the shows that I would thrive on, like Thursday, early Friday. These guys were kings of the late Friday, right, kings yeah. of the late Saturday. But the early shows, your first joke is about, you know, you know, a period joke or whatever. They they struggled with that, like, this is a joke. I'm joking. I'm not really... Because for a second, they're kind of like, did a crazy person walk in here? Yeah. And that might have been happening. <laughs> but it didn't matter. You were finding it. They, they, uh, after the crowds got wise to what you were doing, yeah. I think you're the beneficiary of that realization. Yeah, yeah no. So eventually it worked out. Yeah. We went. Did you have whole weekends? I mean, when you went from the theaters opening your opening for yourself at the plays... Yeah. Your first weekends were clubs, comedy clubs? When I started, I, it, it, what happened was is I went from there and uh, Catch Rising Star was still, Catch. Was still going. <laughs> and they, uh, they brought me in and said, we want you to work. Would you work? Uh, what do you mean they brought you in? Well, they brought me into the club. You know, did? where I didn't audition. But you, how did that happen? They, they were seeing me. They were coming into the, to my, the place. In my place. They came so, to you. Yeah, they saw me because they would come in to see other people because people like um, uh, every so often Susie Essman would be there or uh, Joy Behar would be there. There yeah. were people that they knew that would be oh, there. And then they see old Lewis. And then they saw me. And, uh, wow. Uh, and that was the first place that I really started. And I had uh, already, because I, I, I didn't go to clubs because I I really didn't think I was going to pursue it. And, and I kind of went there thinking, okay, maybe... If now they're interested, maybe I should go and see what it's about. Now you know I'd, yeah. been, I'd gone, I'd auditioned uh, at Catch before, and um, and no one was there to see me, and no one had told me that no one would be there to see me. It was one of those nights where yeah. it was supposed to be you know, only the first five people are seen, and I literally this would give you an idea of where I was at. <laughs> well, why, was, gee, I wonder why I took your career so long. <laughs> I, uh, oh, yeah, if you could just. Thanks. Brought to you by water. So, thank you. Um, a, a so break I, for our sponsor, water. <laughs> so, it's one of the main elements of the earth. It's been around for a long time. Jesus drank it. <laughs> he had to, he, but he had to like do something. He had to it. change it into Pinot Noir. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Go to water.org slash weird for 10% off your water. <laughs> Sorry, I have to do this. <laughs> I don't want to do this. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, so... Yeah. So uh, you had auditioned before, and the so show, I yeah. so I was told, I, and so I had five friends there. I was broke. I had five friends that I, that came. It was there was no more than twenty people in the room. There was no more than forty or fifty for the whole show. Yeah, uh, and I had five of these people at the end, and uh, I paid their bill, and I had no money. Yeah. So this was like, and so I just said, you know, and I did well, and I knew when I did well, and I didn't know when I did shitty. And this was way back before I had really was doing it on a regular basis. I'd do it. And so I thought maybe if I do this, I'll do it more regularly. And, and uh, so I, uh, they said, well, oh, no, only the, the you, no one saw you audition. I went, oh, what? And no one, you know, they only see the first five, the only first five were the ones who were auditioned. Then they, they said, had a dinner. Nobody told me that. And right. I picked a chair up. Oh my god! And I threw it across the room. Wow! Was that written into the play that you had scripted? Because <laughs> no. that is very, very Beckett. Yeah, it was really. Uh, <laughs> you threw a chair. I threw the chair. You weren't letting out enough steam on stage yet. Yeah, no, and I was so pissed. And they said, um, "So is there? 
is that, you know, I recorded, is anybody going to listen to that? And he said, no. And I threw another chair. Wow. That's like those trials. I always think about this trial. There was a trial where the, 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 someone had been murdered, shot, uh, like 10 times. And the reason the person couldn't plead insanity was because it was a six-shooter gun. So they shot them six times, reloaded, shot them four more times. And that's why they went to prison. And that's why their defense wasn't allowed to persuade or wasn't able to persuade the judge that it had been insanity. That's you throwing two chairs. (laughs) One chair, he just had a bad moment. Two chairs, I don't know if this guy should be in the club. (laughs) (laughs) And that was, I picked up the third chair and I didn't throw it. Uh, Is that true? Yeah. I didn't throw the chair, I put it down. He said, you know, he started yelling for the manager. I just put the chair down and walked out. Are these like... And I never walked back in again. Yeah, until they invited until they invited me, and I said, to "Is them, it a new staff at this point?" <laughs> no, they, I think it the was, chair guy. I still think it may have been Louis Ferranda. I'm not sure. Oh yeah, but I said uh, when they called me, I said, "You know, this is what happened before, and I'm not gonna." I, I said, "I'm, I, you know, this is the deal. I'm not gonna audition. I'm not doing bullshit." I said, "You know, I don't need to do this." Yeah, and I went in, and it was great. It was really, uh, uh, it, it's where I started to really figure out what to do with what I was doing in that club because yeah. everybody there's always that thing about the, the words that the, the, I don't know how you alternative comedy was, yeah. were two words that I never understood they, comedy um, not in a club yeah that's what I like to say so, <laughs> so I always thought any kind of comedy I'd watch people do things that were to me alternative you know, I thought Sam Kinison was an alternative comic. I mean, right. for God's sake, you right. know, the stuff, some of the stuff he was doing was insane. Right. Just because he's standing in a club doesn't, so. Right. Uh, so. You're right. He seems like a guy that would go viral in the Bowery. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, he's at the Poetry House. <laughs> he went at this crazy guy in a beret. Yeah, you're right. So, so I was doing this stuff there, and it was in a sense somewhat, it, it was, it was alternative in the sense it was it, it, only in the sense that it was about theater. So who does who does who does Ibsen jokes anymore? I yeah. mean, so they're right. not they're not happening. Right. But but I went in there with my set and kind of began to realize how you shape it because I've never had a context. I had friends of mine like the Dan Ballard, John Bowman, my who opened for me for years. Uh-huh. Uh, he, he's been my opener and. Uh, a couple in other comics that would come in that I knew and comics that I'd work with on and off on the, you know, but, but once again, kind of do it and get out in Washington. I did it at a place called L Brookman's, uh, which was, was always the places where people were starting out and we were putting something together. And so I go, I, I went in there and it was, uh, it was, uh, Rosie O'Donnell was hosting, uh, Dennis Leary, me, Kevin Meany, Mario Cantone. And that was, and and I consider those guys to be part of like the first group that yeah. kind of gave it's me a sense. Line. Leary goes on stage and does his smoking bit. And I had a smoking bit. And my brain went, that's the end of your smoking bit. <laughs> your smoking bit's finished. Okay. Because his was so good or because you didn't understand that two people can have smoking bits? No, his was good. <laughs> Mine, he did it and he smoked. Well, I was not smoking on stage. Yeah. He was smoking on stage and doing this bit. And I'm going, he has buried my bit. 
Yeah. My my bit is like, uh, you know, uh, this is not. He's doing. He's doing literally uh, heart transplants, and I'm I'm basically extracting a you know a, a planter's wart. <laughs> okay, so we're dropping that, and that was where I started to really pick up on editing and getting rid of and right and uh, see we're back to that idea that the the, the high stakes writing of stand up creates better writing. Yeah, like it, I, there's not often I, I would imagine that you. You have to put your play on after another play, and you're like, "Well, that's the drunken yeah. kitchen scene." Yeah. <laughs> like, and now I yeah. have to rewrite yeah. my drunken kitchen scene. And then I had Dennis, and then you had Kevin Meany, who's you know who's really uh, you know a, a, a master. January, and, February, yeah. March, April, <laughs> May, June, July. Have you seen that Tonight <laughs> yeah. Show? Yeah. He sings the months. Yeah. It's one of the greatest he was stand-up performances to work with. that I've ever seen in my life. And and then Mario, who was yeah. like, so it was really a, this. So I kind of got all sorts of angles on, on on humor, and I would do, and what I just thought was astonishing. I mean, I I mean, I learned stuff. You, you, you. I, this is one of my favorite stories. He was uh, auditioning for Uncle Buck, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, all of the all of the people had shown up. You know, it's like when they all show up at the club and they're going to watch Kevin, and so the stakes are all high. Wait, Kevin Meany was auditioning to play Uncle Buck. Yeah, did he get it? Yeah, he did. You didn't even hesitate. Yeah, he I was crushed it. <laughs> but, <laughs> so he was auditioning to be Uncle Buck, and he but he crushed it. He crushed this. He did a set. Or he the audition. Did, he did. We are the. He did a short set, and then he did. We are the world. Okay. Which is which he does. Yeah, so his classic closer. And he's. If you've never seen it, look it up. And uh, he was, and it was un. I mean, I'd seen him do it twenty times already, and this was like, how did he, how did he do it better? Yeah. I mean, it was really like watching a guy going, "I want this." Fuck you, people! Yeah, I'm gonna. I'm going. It's like he's going through the audience and ripping their chests open yeah. and eating their hearts. <laughs> and it was spectacular. And the place went berserk. Yeah, I mean, I've seen this maybe ten times in my in a club in my life, where the level just where it goes through the roof. I mean, you'd see it. Yeah. for a bit, but this is like was just an. Ex- yeah, and. He finished and everybody just got up and went nuts. Yeah. And he had a standing ovation. You knew he got the job and everybody started it up. Or you didn't really know he got the job because this business, that could have been the end. They really liked him. Fuck him. Right. We're not going to use the guy they liked. We can get somebody that nobody cares about. Right, right. I'm sorry. I thought he was auditioning for John Candy's part. No, he was for the TV show. For the TV show, which he did get. Yes. See, I was being cheeky. I thought it was for the movie. Yeah, no, I'm way ahead of you. And he I'm got... living, I live in the future. <laughs> so your presence... I live in the past, even so though your presence it's... is a present. <laughs> it's a Kanye lyric. Lewis. I couldn't remember. What's sad is I couldn't remember who the original Uncle Buck was. So that was it. Yeah. So you and I were lost in space together. <laughs> <laughs> I felt it. It felt nice to be weightless for a second. But he got, so he crushed and... He crushed and he yeah, got it. And he got it. But then they said... Uh, and he left the stage, and then they came up, you know, and it was, and now, ladies and gentlemen, Lewis Black. Oh, no. And I walked on stage. Oh, no. And I went, um, and this, I said, uh, I think what you just saw is utterly remarkable. I think um, that what you want to do is to really uh, allow yourselves the time to enjoy that and talk about it. 
and uh, I'm certainly not going to sell you with my shit. So what's going to happen is you go about the business, and when the energy in this room dies down after what you know was obviously one of the greatest things I've ever seen in my life, I'm going to be over here. Um, and when you need me, I'm going to come up and maybe do a few minutes, and we'll move on to the next comp. You gave them a intermission. Yeah. <laughs> That's brilliant. I was still going to get my 25 bucks. That's brilliant. <laughs> but you had to. You couldn't sit yeah. there. That was stupid. I... You've got to be an idiot. Yes. You're not going to top it. Why top it and give him... It's like, you know, it's like... Uh, it's, you don't... You you give him his due. Yeah, of course. Yeah, no, it would be disrespectful yeah. to go up and be like, sex is confusing! <laughs> As they're still going, did you hear his Bruce Springsteen? Like, that's ridiculous. Yeah. I, I love that story. I love that story so much. What a great guy. I um, It was a great moment. And it was, for me, it was really, it was one of those lessons of you're going to follow people. Yeah. And just realize that you're in their, you know, it's not going to be like this, but you're in their wake. Yeah. And, uh, and the waves are there and just. Don't be the weather guy in the hurricane on the news. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to report. Get out of there, Steve. A yeah. tree just went by. Yeah. Just go inside. Yeah. We all know it's raining in the southern part. Yes. I used to follow Chappelle. Uh, well, by follow Chappelle, this is in the Boston Comedy Club. Uh, he would come in, and this is during Chappelle's show, and he would do about two hours. And then, and then they'd be like, you go up after him. Because I was basically like the house i don't want to say lackey but i was like running the door and all of a sudden and they'd give me that spot (laughs) i got it i used to to bartend to run a room and they paid me to bartend not to run the room yeah there you go you know that's it yeah but i was locking the door on most nights not most nights every once in a while and i would go up and basically my opener at that time was please don't leave please sit down wasn't dave great but what i should have done was what i would do now is no. If someone said, you go up next, I'd say, no. Anyone in their right mind would be like, he just did two hours. The whole crowd came in just to watch him from the street, literally from the street. They heard he was there. They came in. Then they left. They're they're right to leave. They're yeah. not comedy fans, even. They're Chappelle fans. I mean, they're fans of comedy, but they're not there to just support the local scene. Yeah. You're also something that... Um, well, there's a couple things that came up. What what's going on with the old depression? Do you want to talk about it? No, nah, it's just we're on a couch. No, because it's really <laughs> just that uh, thing of like, my my father passed away uh, four months ago, five oh, wow. months ago, and you kind of think you're you know he's 101. So I was just gonna say I was I sat on my joke was what was he 200? Yeah, he was 101 years old. 101. Holy shit! So it was you how know, fitting so that I, you're in L.A. the 101 freeway. <laughs> You know that's named after your dad, and I. <laughs> so he he passed away. Tell he me, passed away in May. Uh-huh. It was not, you know, I I'd gone back. Uh, you know, I'd been able to say goodbye because he lives. You know, lived. I live in the East Coast. They live in Maryland. They're like two hour train ride, and so I'd go down, and and you kind of think you're through it. Yeah, you know, and people say, you know. And you're thinking, you know, he's 101, you've said goodbye, you know, he's 101, what else could it be, da 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 right. you know, it's got to be, and then you kind of go through it. The goes down huh? when people are that old, right? I, I, I'm not saying it should, but people are like, well, he was 101, so yeah. you sort of get less 
warmth? Is that fair? No, no, you do get it. Oh, you, you do get and it. And you kind of go, you know, you, and you feel badly because you kind of go, you know, you, you can't really, what, could he, what else could he have done? She, should I have been yelling, you, you, you know, he didn't live long enough? Right. It was in but, his calendar. It says right here, <laughs> die. He, I mean. <laughs> and died of natural causes in well. his sleep, no pain. There you go. So karate kicks, and then and and was able to say goodbye to my mother and all the things that were there. You know, I Still see, wanted to say goodbye to your mother. Yeah, can you believe that? Fucking hey, this yeah. man deserves a monument. Yeah, no, especially to say, especially with my mother. Yeah. <laughs> There's a little asterisk. Lewis Black would like to say, especially with my mother. <laughs> really? Oh, if you only knew. Really? Uh, no, but she, but he, but she's still living. She's still living. She she's 101. She's a hundred and one. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, so I, so the depression comes back. You know, it goes away. But it's circumstantial. Yeah. It's because of this event. Yeah. I mean, you kind of think, I'm going to get over this. And you realize, oh, here's what's going on. Is it, do you have just like a lot of us, just like a low kind of dormant depression that's activated by sad things? Or do you think you're really mourning this appropriately? I think I think I mourned it appropriately, and now it's kind of like just passing. Appropriately, I hated that I yeah, said that. But I'm but you, you know what I meant. Yes, it wasn't just like unearthing tons of feelings that are about tons of things. No, but you kind of go through. You know, you you know, it sends you through your past. Yeah, you know, it sends you into that rabbit hole of your past, and there's a lot of stuff that you go through, and uh, and I think in the end, it um, uh, it just it it just bubbles up a bit. You know, yeah. so it comes back and then it goes away. There's a lot of ways that uh, a parent going could trigger us. One, I think, is the narcissistic way. Nothing wrong with it. The self-centered way. Let's not say narcissistic, but the self-centered way. Oh, he's dying. Everyone we know. Someone very close to me makes us worried about our own lives and yeah. the meaning of our lives and all that sort of stuff. Was it in that category or was it more like a sweet connection? It was both of those it was that you know a very sweet connection my father was really remarkable he's the reason i'm got into theater he's the re, you know he, really yeah was he a playwright no he was a mechanical engineer what if you're like his name was arthur miller <laughs> <laughs> wow holy shit how did he get you into theater then he went to a lot of plays this he, is like billy elliott you realize you yeah. had the working class dad that was like billy go see some dance except he didn't do that he was an asshole yeah but you had the no, good my, billy my, my parents went to a lot of theater and then um, he started taking me to theater. He, my mother stopped going, and then he started taking me, and I got into it immediately. And then we, and then little he, sidebar, isn't that what theater was supposed to be? Like I, I remember going on a theater trip to Ireland, and in Ireland, it's still like the yeah. populist sort of like. Of course, you go see yeah. theater, and of course, theater is directly speaking to us. Yeah. It's not like a reboot of a movie. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was yeah. great. And then yeah. when it got, and then the. He moved me when I got older. He took he found a a theater that was more uh, the you know um, like Ionesco Beckett, more hipper, yeah, uh, and a really great cast. All four of the cast ended up being in television eventually and doing films and stuff. Hmm. <clears throat> so he had kind of brought me to that. He had left um, making. He had been a, a mechanical engineer who retired at the age of. 60 because of the Vietnam War. Mm. And um, wait, mechanical engineering wasn't big in the Vietnam War? Well, he not a mechanical, well, he was a design engineer. He, he designed sea mines. Sea mines? Yeah. Like and those scary, the ones prickly that, things yeah. that are anchored. 
And what they do, what he did it, he didn't like doing it. He wanted to design other things, but they, he, we became a nation that was designing mainly uh, for money. We were designing weaponry. Yeah. So, and he felt morally conflicted about that or just... Yeah, that? because what he did, what he felt, no, but he felt that sea mines were fine because they were defensive weapons. Yeah. So it's not being, it's used to protect the home. It's you like know, a fence. It, yeah. Yeah. It's a sea so, fence. So we, so he is the only person I know who, uh, during the Vietnam War, they were yelling about the, uh, the, the, it was, um, the defense of the war, but the reason we were at war was, um, the Gulf of Tonkin resolution based on the Geneva Accords. My father read the Geneva Accords. Wow. Which is crazy. It's like sixty pages, and it was like this big. The yeah, print. they lost me at the eve in Geneva. <laughs> like, I'm I'm done with this. And he read it and said, "There's no moral reason for us to be there." That was the turning point. Wow. And then we mined Haiphong Harbor, so we used his weaponry as he saw it as an offensive weapon. And within a few years, he he began to make the move to retire. Wow. Uh, which was like five years before he was planning on retiring and became a uh, an apprentice to a guy who made stained glass and then went on to become an artist. Get the fuck out of no, here. I'm so are you in town selling this story? <laughs> like, what is, that is a great story. Isn't that remarkable? It's crazy. And the people that were 60 during the Vietnam War were usually the ones that were like, mm-hmm. shut up, you hippies. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm honored that they're using... When you said they mined that harbor, they were putting mines... Not as a fence. They were putting them in, in someone in, else's in, water. Yeah, they were putting them in Haiphong Harbor. They were putting them in the harbor of yeah. the, so that the... I just didn't want to pretend I understood that. Yes. <laughs> so that's that's a, a, a terrible offensive thing for him. And then he starts making stained glass. And well, then he leaves the job and goes does really what he wanted to do, I think, always, which was to be an artist. And what kind of art? He did a thing. He did uh, stained glass until it was, you know, and then he started taking lessons at the. Uh, stained glass was sort of like the early internet. There was a time when it was like, <laughs> got to get into stained glass. Well, he was making really amazing, some amazing pieces. Yeah, and, uh, and then he. If you're uh, in my house, there's a there's a, a cupboard that's clearly renovated from the seventies. It's got stained glass. Is that there. right? There was a time when it was very like wallpaper. Right, it was just yeah. a time we wanted wallpaper. We want stained glass. Yeah, there's a, a couple of bars I've been in. In uh, there's one in Cleveland, uh, one in Dayton, Ohio that is all stained glass. Yeah, it's, we love it. I don't. You said on comedians and cards, it's a pendulum. Mark my words, 2050 <laughs> yeah. stained glass. It'll be back, it's back baby. And I've got a piece of, he did a mirror, a Victorian mirror, that, you know, that uh, I have. And, wow. uh, but he, um, he then started taking, you could take uh, lessons, um, you know, uh, lessons in terms of art, uh, you, know, to, you know, painting in, uh, at the local junior college. And he started doing that. And then he started painting like a crazy, painted, I have hundreds of his paintings. Wow. And he's a hard edge abstractionist, is what he called himself. And I didn't really understand, you know, it was like a design paint. It's like, a, it's kind of a design. Yeah. I'm uh, picturing the Vidal Sassoon bottle, like strong <laughs> shapes. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> okay. But in, in, uh, and one of the, one of the shows that I did, and I believe it's the, uh, Old Yeller, uh, I think it was, but it may have been another one, but one of my specials, the set was, uh, 
actually a three-dimensional version of one of his paintings. Wow. And then on the sides... uh, And of course he saw this. Yeah. Lewis. Yeah, it was great. My It was actually my tour manager, Ben Brewer, who was the one who said, we could do this. And I went, that's phenomenal. No. So he was... What if he didn't sell it to you? Sorry. (laughs) Yeah, I just said, fuck you. No. I don't don't want it. It was really, but my father was, you know, it was great. And he did he loaded leading question. He it sounds like he got you. Like he saw you. He saw that you appreciated him. Yeah. Like this wasn't. A- and he won a goofy award. There's some television award that I can tell you about that nobody knows about. What he did uh, for design. No kidding. Yeah. And we, and we was- sent it in and submitted it. And my father won the award for TV. Wow. Yeah. So he had success yeah. as an artist yeah. later in life. Yeah, and I tried to, I'm going to sell eventually his uh, his paintings because I've stored about a ton of, I've stored a Well, it's after the docuseries, Lewis. I don't know if you have any L.A. friends, but I'm like, this is a documentary. <laughs> yeah. We just need some old photographs. We're going to like have him sort of pop out and move slowly towards the camera over voiceover. They'll use ex- excerpts from this podcast. And then I'm like your manager. Then you sell the paintings. First, we I- increase interest. It's like Bob Ross. People want to buy Bob. Did you all of Bob Ross's paintings are in some warehouse somewhere? They never right? sold them. But if you, you do a docuseries, then you yeah. sell them. Boom! Yep. Well, he people have asked for them for years. Yeah. You know, to, to sell them, and I'm just gonna do, I'm gonna sell them for charity because he. Oh, that's great. Well, they're great. Some of them. Some Is that of them your were, girlfriend? Uh, they were charity. He, it was here's the best story <laughs> that he had. Uh, they did a, his first ex. The first time he was ever put on an exhibition was at the junior college, and it was uh, a whole bunch of artists, and it was like twenty paintings. And two were stolen. Oh. And they were his. Wow. So it's kind of a compliment? Oh, yeah. He said, this is crazy. Greatest art thief ever. Oh, my God. <laughs> you see them tucked away in his closet. Dad, why do you have this cat burglar outfit? Uh, no reason. That is awesome. Isn't that good? Yeah, that was... I'm going to call that the third act yeah. of this story. What a great little moment. Who's going to play young Louis Blanc? Huh. <laughs> Joe DeRosa Do you know Joe? Yes I do yeah. I was thinking about Joe When we were talking That's about yelling funny. I saw Joe at the comedy uh, Stand Up New York Talking about yelling he, We auditioned the same night I didn't get it He got it And he was on stage He did a joke about How people think They're like You shouldn't be embarrassed If you're fooled by the show Punked Do you remember the show Punked? Yes And he's like they spend millions of dollars on the special effects and we're supposed to be like, ha ah, you sucker. He's like, I just saw a pterodactyl. And I was like, yeah, he yelled it. I, it was like a click moment where I was like, I didn't know you could show that emotion on stage. And I'm, I'm sure he's a, a fan of yours. So what happened? Uh, you got the sense that he was passing. Why did you visit? Oh, because it, I knew he was. It, it was. It, it, it was. He was coming on. It, he, was just, he was getting weaker and weaker. Yeah, yeah. It was mostly, and then the thing where they start to take him into the hospital for things. Right. You know, uh, you know your father has the, you know, the blood pressure is very low and stuff. When you're off the the Nyquil plan, like yeah. you're not a Nyquil guy anymore. Right. We're going to see you for this. Yes. Yeah. You know. So I, at that point, said, "Okay, well." Just, Bring him home and put up a bed and yeah. let them. And he, he went three weeks after that. Oh, wow. But you could see it was, you know, he, I mean, it's 101. It's just the body gives out. 
Right. Was he still uh, there? He was there, uh, but his hearing was gone. So it was, I mean, my father was smiled more than any human being. Really? Yeah. I mean, he smiled all the time. I mean, <laughs> all the time. All the time. It was pretty amazing. And like, it, in a, like he just was that kind of guy. It was yeah. bubbling up from him. Yeah. I mean, he was kind of, um, one could use the word beatific. Hmm. I love that. You know? You don't and hear that's that not often. a word I toss about. No. <laughs> I mean, people go jolly. Well, you know, this. Ramdas, yeah. yeah. So Ramdas is 88. I just saw him. Is that right? He's and still he, around. He's still yeah, going. I was just with him a week ago. And the only, he's so there, but you said the hearing and I immediately thought of him. I was like, that is, you want to be able to talk like this. Yeah. And I, th- I get, I could be wrong. I get the sense that he wishes we could just talk like this and catch up and laugh and tell him yeah. stories or whatever. But when the hearing goes, suddenly you have to be, you just have to talk slow and loud. Yeah. And that's got to be frustrating for everybody involved, yeah. unless you can sort of. But he got, it. but it was funny. He, he, he kind of went slowly and then it was gone. But, you know, he had a really great, you didn't think he could hear. There was times toward yeah. the last couple of years. And then it'd be a 30 second pause and he'd say something. And you go, oh, fuck, he's just hurt. He got oh, it. He got it. And he then can't. he nailed it. <laughs> so well i'm sorry that he passed yeah and um and and it's also the, the you know the, but to wrap up uh, the thing we were talking about was that uh the other thing was is that uh you know it's the end of the family line so that's part of it so you kind of go through that you mean because you didn't have kids no so no. And my brother passed away oh no yeah and then I, at first I was upset that my brother, and I certainly am upset that my brother's not around, and I was upset that he wasn't here because yeah. it's, uh, it would have made it, it, it would have, I think, t- made it easier to to deal with. Um, but then, yeah, uh, but then you start you other, you have other friends whose parents are dying, and you watch what the what their siblings are doing. And how psychotic people get in terms of the money. Oh, yeah. And the, or the way in which uh, they act toward each other. <sighs> yeah. And, and then I kind of went, well, given the option yeah. of my brother. Yeah. You know, if I had the, if my choice is only my brother you passes pick, right? away yeah. or I have to live with that kind of, you know, better I'm alone. Yeah. Then that's madness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I just, that's even worse. That's more anxiety than you need. Yeah, I, I worry about that all the time. Not with my brother. In fact, I, I, I feel um, I feel you in that my brother, as we get older, I call him and, and we'll talk about the family in a way that I'm like, oh, this brother thing's really paying out. Yeah. We weren't really close for the first, I don't know, 30 years or something. Yeah. But now the past decade, we've been getting close. Oh, that's good. And I just called him yesterday and I was ranting about this thing that uh, whatever happened in the family. And I was like, oh, this is, this is the brother stuff. Yeah. And when my parents pass, their lives are such a sort of weird mess. It would take like a, I know there's money, but who has it is a good question. Like it always seems that they're in Boston and it always seems like the money is, is in the, this property or there's a job over here and it's, this guy owes me this. And I'm like, I'm not, I, I might just be like, I gotta go. I gotta go. I can't, I can't deal with it. It seems like such a nightmare. It doesn't surprise me that. The well, what's really a nightmare. And it is, 
it, somebody should write the book about it, but I'm not going to be the one, is, uh, is now that my father passed away, is the dribs and drabs of things that he had or that are being sent to us. Yeah. So my father had a life insurance policy. Yeah. So this thing arrives. Now, one would think in a world of computers <laughs> and a world in which someone in financial, you know, impossible financial distress might really want to know about that goddamn. Now, my mother is lucky because I'm able to, you know, I'm able to do whatever needs to be done. But, but if she wasn't, this fucking thing arrives. She's 101. She can't read it. Yeah. Who the fuck is gonna, was going to deal with that? Yeah, it's like and, I, and it's taking me with the help of uh, a friend of mine that uh, is deals with some of their financial stuff because it's a muddle like yeah. your parents. Yeah, yeah. Um, that I have to go. That w- when I get home, I have to get A, B, and C for them so that I can track down. The life insurance policy. I, I can't. Uh, it's the fifth time I have to prove I'm there. Uh, I have legal, what is it called? I'm, uh, I'm uh, the proxy. Wow. Life insurance policies should show up like Publishers Clearinghouse. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, with, come with a check. With Steve. With Steve, of course. <laughs> a huge check, the balloons, and I want cameras. Yeah. And we sell this show, too. That's yeah. how LA I'm being. We sell the life insurance yeah. policy plan. You know, we could do that. You know, that isn't a bad... I'll bring it out of you, Lewis. You'll help me be angry. Yeah. I'll help you be slimy. Well, help me be slimy. We'll make some, we can make some money. Oh, slimy it. people have a lot well, of we, money. Yeah, but this is something where we don't have to do anything. We get two kids. Yeah. Who are oh, like, neither of us are the face oh, of this thing. Oh, no. Fuck no. No, because, you know, especially with me, I, I could need that policy at any day. Yeah. Oh, good finale. But... <laughs> In fact, it would be yeah. No, that's too dark. <laughs> if no, we both no. die, if we both die, that would be a good no, that finale. Would be good. That would be a great. They won't be back for a third season, but the kids will. <laughs> that is funny, but uh, but it's amazing. See that kind of crap that people. I mean, it's amazing what I've had to go through. I was on the phone today. I had to. Well, there's uh, the money would come now. My mother' social security check goes to a bank now. For me to get that Social Security check redirected would take God knows how much. So I've got to keep it in that bank because it otherwise becomes... Your full-time job. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think we're speaking to a lot of people in a lot of different situations. Whenever there's bureaucracy involved, whenever I've had to go into the well of bureaucracy, I'm like, how does anyone do this? And I think they get a lot of their evil money from people just being like, Fuck it, I can't yeah. do it. No, that's exactly it. That's it. It's, it's yeah, my it's sinister. Uh, the guy, one of the guys who works at my apartment building, we were t- we were talking about this because he when he, my father died, he said, you know, watch out. He said because the bank jerked him and his family around for a year before they would even tell him what yeah. was in the account. Wow, you know, you just kind of go, you don't get to do that. Yeah, there should be a special. That should be a. It probably is a job. Somebody that's like, I'm here to help for yeah. free. I'm just like a government service. No, I'm just is. here to do this. No, there was. You know, in Sweden. And they took it away. Oh, really? I'm, no. Yeah. <laughs> you're more informed than I am. <laughs> Did your family have a religious metaphor? I know you're uh, chosen. But when there comes times of passing and stuff, do you have any? No, my mother. When my brother passed away, my mother said, that's it. With, she she uh, walked away. From from God. She walked away from me. She's fucked. She went, fuck this. I understand. How did your brother pass? I, I, this is not me trying to get you to cry. I just can't. Oh, no. I, it's, it's been long. <laughs> it's, he's 
20 years almost. Oh, wow. So he, uh, Older or younger? Younger. Younger brother, wow. Yeah, but three years younger. Yeah. And uh, he picked uh, cancer. Oh, wow. You know. That's rough. And, uh, were you guys close? Yeah. We were really close. It was tough. Hmm. Um, but he was very, um, he, uh, he was, he, he kind of lived, the, you know, he felt, he, he, he was one of those people who kind of passed without, you know, he thought he didn't have regrets. He did it. He, I mean, he died young and yeah. felt like he How lived old? in Europe. He died, died at, let's see, 71, uh, 46. Wow. 47. Wow. Yeah. Heavy. It was, you know, because he, uh, but he lived in, he lived in Paris. He lived in Antibes before Antibes was a hoo-ha place. What's Antibes? Antibes is near. Is that a UFC uh, guy? <laughs> no, it's down, it's on the coast, of the, the, the southern coast of France. It's wow. near, um, wow. it's near where they, uh, what is it, uh, they do the, uh, what's the, the big. Um, Geneva Accords? <laughs> no, 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 the, uh, what the fuck is the name of the guy? Cans. Yeah, Khan. Khan. I he say Cannes. But it's but he lived near Khan. The Cannes Film Festival. But when this place was there was it was just gorgeous and no one was there. Yeah. Years ago and he lived in uh he lived in um Norway for like seven years. Wow. So I mean he had a he lived for a big stretch of time. I'm a little bit morbid. Just I think it was either this morning or yesterday morning. I was getting sort of overwhelmed with how beautiful you know, I have my baby and my family and my and my career is and it's not even a career. Career's too it's it's my dreams coming true. And I have little moments where I'm like, even if I died, I want people to know that it's like this was the shit. Yeah. This was the fucking shit. Yeah. And like I, I it sounds like your brother had the same yeah, sort of he, feeling. Yeah, yeah. And what is what 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 dream is coming true or the it just is that a larger Oh, it's just like just sort of getting to the place where I, I, I was writing a script that I was like, maybe we'll sell the script. But I actually kind of like that part of it. You're like, who knows if this will be a thing. But I did my part, and, and we'll see if it plays out. But touring around, having people come and see you, being able to do the podcast, have nice conversations with people yeah. like you that I admire. have, And then really, it has so much to do with my daughter and my wife. And I was just like, I, I actually feel emotional. I just get really overwhelmed. And How old is your daughter? I don't know. <laughs> She's uh, she's thirteen months, fourteen months, wow. closing on fourteen months. You'll probably meet her. You'll meet her on the way yeah. up. She was napping on your way in, so you get overwhelmed with the gratitude. And I was like, at this point, it's sort of circling a la- a-, a track that's already golden, and I-, I like going around it. I plan on sticking around, especially with a family. You want to stick around, yeah. but you're like, the track is already golden. <laughs> it's not even. I don't even feel dark when I say this. I'm just like. Don't don't worry about old Petey. Like this 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 the ship came in and it felt really good. Yeah. And he was there to appreciate it. Yeah. Like I wasn't like secretly stressed out and not enjoying it. Like I, you, you hear stories of of people that have found success in our industry, but they're fucking miserable. There's too many of them. There's too many people. Like it's that. weird. Can, I mean, I was really the the only thing that has been strange to me is 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 what. Uh, you you kind of go through your life at the end, it, you know, when, with your parents and the family and all of that stuff. And the, but you turn that corner, and because I'm seventy one, and you turn the corner, and you've got okay. So this is the you know we're you know you, and people are, oh you're going to live till yeah right okay fuck you <laughs> that's not you know that was it wasn't written 
<laughs> but uh, but you kind of go, what's the last chapter going to be? Yeah, and that's the only because everything else has been totally unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, in, in my life, yeah. everything yeah. up until turning that corner and kind of going, what do I really want to do? Do I really want to just? I could walk away and be happy. I could. There's about yeah. four things. But isn't that great when you know that walking away, you could still be happy? Yeah. Like the fact that I feel, and it sounds like it the same way. There were times way too early. My first marriage, we were like, let's let's move to upstate New York or whatever. And I'm just like, I can't yet. I, I don't. Yeah. But now I feel like I can be happy alone in a room way better, way more than I ever could. Whereas there's some people that I don't think they ever will get to a point where it's like. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I would work. rather. I know that I'm going to have to be doing stuff. The question is, what is it? Yeah. I'm gonna. I know that I'm gonna do less, but the question is, what is it that I want to do? Yeah. Do I want to write the? Do I want to write a play? Do I want to do this? Do I want to do that? Yeah. You know, when they call and they go, uh, it was. They'll call and they say, "Would you?" Th- this is certain things I do know. I knew know that uh, if they call and they want me to do something, it better be fucking fun. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not doing not fun. That has to be it, it, that to anybody who's listening. That has to be the first thing. Yeah. Unless they're paying you some stupefying amount of money to, you That's know, right. to, which to, then turns into fun to turn your yeah. to turn your ass into a condominium. Right. Okay. <laughs> then then maybe. Right. Well, but, that was Seinfeld on your comedians and cars. Again, I apologize, but he said, "Why make he made B movie?" But he's like, "Why? It's four yeah. years." To stand in back of a theater and maybe hear, he says, a C-minus laugh. And he's like, where's the fun? And I was like, what I like about Seinfeld and what I like about people that realize that the moment is their life and and shapes, I sometimes worry about, you know, maybe it is giving them deep satisfaction, but if I'm on a plane and I see four movies and the same dude is in three of them, I'm like, I hope you're finding some time to not just be proving that you're worthy yeah. To be in the business, proving, proving, proving that you're valuable, proving that you're worthy of love. Because you can just go get a coffee. Yeah. You can, you can just go get a fucking croissant and with somebody and not yeah. talk about fucking show business. <laughs> yeah, but it's got to be fun. And, be, and have fun. That's right. That's right. It really has to be. Uh, and I, that's the thing. Uh, Is stand-up uh, because still fun? It, huh? Is stand-up still fun? Yeah, there's two things with stand-up. One, it's got to be fun, and it is. It is the only place on earth. This is this should go back to your Ram Dassian thing here because I was. I, He's yeah. over my shoulder, so Lewis keeps pointing yeah, to him. If yeah, it sounds yeah. weird that we just keep thinking of him, well, yeah, no, because I wondered who he was. Because first I thought he looked like John Cleese. I've gotten that before. <laughs> so wow, I'm this sure. guy loves John Cleese. So, but uh, <laughs> but um, he. Uh, Baba Ramdas is, uh, you know, the, the, that's the only place uh, that I feel in the moment. What is that? On stage. Buddy, it's a great life it's, hack. It's, it's a soul hack. It's the only place I feel that. And that is hard for me to give up. Dude, the guy that free solo, the guy that climbed the mountain, they're like, oh, wow, he wanted the recognition. I'm like, the dude wanted to shut his brain off, at least partially. Yeah. Like, you and I understand that. If your brain left to my own devices, in fact, I, I think I had like a week where I wasn't doing very much. It was fine. But I start doing weird shit. I start like Googling best towels. I'm like, oh, let's get a great towel. It's not good. I, I need something that Can forces me. you send me, me that? <laughs> you can take some towels on the way because my first couple orders, not what I was thinking. Not the great towel. I want like a bath mat that's long. 
want it to be heavy. I want to look like a king. All right. There are all these like thin. I'll send you. You have good towels. I, yeah, but I, 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 I have to. Re, I don't know where, how to retrace where. You got to tell me where these towels are. <laughs> See, this is why it's good to be friends with Judd. Is sometimes, but he's not a great rich guy in the sense yeah, that he. I mean, he has very nice things. Yeah. But he's not one of those guys that's got like necessarily the ten out of ten. Yeah. But every once in a while, I'll text him and be like, "Who does your towels? <laughs> like, I want the Judd Apatow towels. Yeah. I'll spend seventy five dollars on a towel. Give me a good towel. Yeah. I want to feel like a king coming out of the yeah, show. Yeah, and it's you know, and it's not like you're going to go through it in a month. That's what I'm saying. It's an investment. Yeah. You said, how much time do you spend fucking toweling off? A lot every day. It yeah. adds up. The weirdest. The first time I bought an expensive sport coat. Yeah. Uh, was uh, I was like, oh, this is so wrong. This is, you know, I just beat myself up over it. I remember my first Barney's and, sports and, coat, and it was, it's. 15 years later. Yeah. And it was for travel. Yeah. And it was so you could throw it in the, it was the kind of coat you could throw in and it kind of was like a sweater, but it, it, it you could wear, I could wear it. You mean throw in the wash? Uh, or throw in the bag? You throw it in the bag and it was, if I showed it to you, it it looks as if I, it, I it, there is nothing, it, it looks brand new. Really? It's psychotic. <laughs> and that's when I went, and that's the one piece where I kind of went, Oh, that's why. That's why you pay. That's why. This is this is paid off. That's this, interesting. This has now cost less than if I'd bought one of the sport coats I would have bought right. every year. A good salesperson would say, Lewis, I know you think this, this coat is too much. Yeah. But look at how much you're spending on coats. Yeah. Or just this one coat and be done with it. Yeah, but that was really, it's... I bought a $700 coat. When my when my first train came in, I was doing a show on Best Week uh, called Best Week Ever on VH1. So I was making five hundred bucks a week. I was really kicking ass, and I uh, bought a seven hundred dollar coat. I think I still regret it. <laughs> <laughs> but a towel. <laughs> if you give me like soft pants or a towel or flannel sheets, these are the things. Like I figured out myself. I'm like something a, a good blanket. You know. You know. I did Colbert. They gave me a blanket. It's like that's yeah, a fucking Colbert good. Give me a fucking blanket. <laughs> I knew it would get you. I'm you know it is good. Tell me. I can't believe I'm going to tell you this, but it, this uh, is bamboo makes a great towel. Makes a great towel if you can get a towel made out of bamboo. Okay. Or a sheet made out of bamboo. Now we're now we're friends. Yeah. Because my baby and it's not outrageously priced. My it's baby not, towels are bamboo. It's not um, outrageously priced. Yeah. At all. For we those of you out there wondering, it's a great way to cut to the Go to bamboo-towels.com slash yeah, weird yeah. for 10% yeah, off your yeah. water. And I can't believe I've shared that. I don't mind at all because I bought bamboo hand towels for the baby because we wanted something natural. And now, see, I just wanted to yes and your shameful bamboo endorsement. <laughs> and I don't regret it at all. Um, well, that's the 90-minute that's the light. Can you believe it? No. It's it's gone by fast. That's good. We I know it, it's always it's very very seldom that I'm like where's that light? Because <laughs> I don't know. We aim for a two hour show, yeah. but in respect for your time, because I know you're doing other stuff. Yeah. Let's not go over. Um, but we do talk about. You started to say, and I, I was kicking myself being here, being present, being on stage. Because we we talk about the meaning of life. And we went from that to bamboo towels. Somehow. To show you how sh- how shallow we both well, that's how are. bad. Well, let's get deeper. That's how badly the ego wants to avoid real things. Yeah, exactly. So it's like we could start talking about the meaning of the universe. Yeah. Or we could talk about towels. And did you see how I lit up? <laughs> For some reason, I want to avoid Sadly, the... Sadly, you were much happier talking about towels. 
I think there's something there. There's, there's really like our personalities and our minds would much rather look at the new iPad and go like, think of the things like, think of the porn I could look at on this thing. Then go like, have you considered being in the moment? We have a natural built-in aversion to considering what I like to call the conundrum of existence. It's insane yeah. that we're here. That yes. we're alive. Well, that was the question. One of the great uh, Art Bookwald. I don't know if you know Bookwald. At I all. don't. Are you, well worth your time. He's Book, an author. He was. In, he wrote uh, short. He wrote essays uh, for the Washington Post and a number of other papers, and he was really funny, brilliantly yeah. funny. Yeah. And uh, like one every couple of days, and he was dying, and uh, had kidney his kidney shut down. And he'd been on dialysis, and he finally said, "You know, fuck this. I'm going into the, I'm going to go into a hospice and say goodbye to all my friends." Yeah. And he goes in there, and uh, and he doesn't die. Oh my god! So he's still alive a year later. His kidneys start to function a bit better. Wow. Um, but he says, somebody during the course of an interview where I read about this, he said that uh, he said people wonder. Um, you know, people wonder, where do you go? That's their big question. He said, I've never wondered about where I'm going. I said, I want to know why I was here. Yeah. Buddy, can I just join Mr. Bookwald and you? This is something I, I said recently. I think I'm going to write it down because it really does something for me. If you did die and you went to heaven, let's say you go to heaven. Now you're on a cloud. It still doesn't answer. The fundamental question remains, what is being? Why am I? You'd just be this question there. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? The only heaven worth heavening is a feeling or an experience of complete knowing of why being ever was, ever came to be. You know what I'm saying? That's heaven. Yeah. Me and you, just with no aches or pains in our bodies, eating cheeseburgers, whatever it is, getting a blowjob, caramel cake, whatever you want doesn't answer a fucking thing we need to know why mr bookwald is right why was yeah. i the question of where do i go to now we're getting into 60s talk and ramdas but it's it's an ego trip it's self-centered it's narcissism spirituality has become so self-centered what's going to happen to lewis fucking zoom out do you know how many people even people close to your personality there have been yeah. get fucking over yourself your little self and get into your big self that's the that's the juice yeah not just going to the the casino in the sky and it's always sevens you think that's not going to get old you fucking dipshit you don't think you're going to be up there and go like the shrimp buffet is great but why do i exist that that won't be solved in any sort of conventional heaven that i've been sold yeah i don't i don't get it at all it's dumb you know what, you you enjoy being a present person though, like on stage. You like the feeling of that's the most I feel present, and I've spent my whole life um, trying to achieve that outside of there, and I haven't. Yeah, and I've lost it early on. I had it for a year and a half of my life, and it was what do you insane. mean? You remained. Present? I actually wrote about it. Well, tell yeah. me everything. Um, I read a book by Alan Watt. Alan Watts. Yeah, called The Taboo Against Knowing. You singular, Tim. <laughs> Is it Watts? It's Watts. He's one of my greatest, yeah, greatest so, teachers. So he wrote the thing called The Taboo Against Knowing Yourself when I was in college. And it was, basically it was just don't, just be honest. Yeah. And that was it. And With uh, yourself. Yeah, with yourself and others. Yeah. And I was. And I just did it. 
and it was. Uh, and I, and what I does st- that mean? Be uh, honest. I need help. I'm not sure. In because I mean, if somebody me. asked me a question, I was you know, or if if I if I you know if it was if some if somebody asked me something, and I you could think, well, if I say this, it'll upset them. Yeah. Uh, I got out of whatever whatever I learned from the family. I mean, I, however, I dropped out of that thing without any therapy. Most people have to go through therapy to right. achieve it. I just dropped out of it. Um, you got watched. I, it was like you know because it was you. You look at someone, you know, you think, okay, well, I'm gonna be, uh, you know, if I say this, they'll be hurt. If I say this, they'll feel better. If I say this, yeah. so you think about what you say. I would just say the truth. The truth. So whether it would hurt him, whether, you know, it's, how long is it going to hurt him? It's not like I'm punching him in the nose, you fucking idiot. Right. But I just did it. I just instinctively did it. Right. And I was, um, uh, and I was writing a play and uh, for, a, it, I'd been given a fellowship to stay on to write. And uh, so I was pursuing what I wanted to do. And I had, and I, I put that together with a complete faith that, um, Psychotically, of complete faith that uh, that the universe would it was uh, it was going to tell me yeah. that there was I had complete faith in everything working out. There wow. was nothing to worry about. There was no need to panic. And I'm writing a play, and it's happening. And everything that I'm doing, I'm going through the whole day. And normally, I would panic about this working out, and whether I, you know, you write, but you dropped it. Yeah, I got rid of all of that anxiety, and by. Uh, if I didn't get it by the end of the day, I wake up the next morning, I go, oh, that's it. And then I'd write it down, and it never stopped. And I knew two days before we opened that we had a massive hit on our hands. I knew it. Wow. I've never had that. And, you and like I couldn't, smoke, I couldn't yeah. smoke pot anymore because it was, it was making me too high. Wow. It was crazy. It was like high. Yeah, I, I, I know exactly what You know what, what the deal about. is yeah, if you hung out with... You yeah, know. yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, but were... it lasted for like a... It lasted for a year and a half, and then I was sitting with some people, and I can tell you. And it was, they asked me what I should, do, what they should do, and I, and I knew exactly what to tell them. But I didn't tell them, and that was the end of it. Get the fuck out yeah. of here! You've pitched me two great movies <laughs> today. That's incredible. Well, if you can get them done, I just would like eight uh, percent. Yeah, that's why you know Final Draft is based on. If any, I'll just put it in there. I've never used that before. I'll just throw in based on something Lewis Black said to me. Based on if any, <laughs> if any, nah. But that was really, and that was the, and then I, when I saw my shrink, uh, who kind of gets all this woo woo stuff. Yeah, um, and I wrote about it in this book uh, that I, you know, I can't remember it was in the the first book or the second book. Where I, you know, where I really kind of explained what the fuck happened, wow. and and then I went to see my shrink, and I said, "That's really what I'm trying to achieve," and 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 in the end, part of what stand up was, I think, it was that was that it was doing it. That's so funny. You were getting it. It was the sport coat. You had the great sport coat for a year and a half, and now you're back to buying a sport coat every time you go on stage. (laughs) I somehow tied it back into sport coats. See, I'm into symbolism. I like theater. Um, That is fascinating. So a couple things. Ramdas, his his guru, um, told him very few commands. He was just sort of like, they said it was sort of like hanging out with a big baby, like just a present, playful in the world, but he didn't lecture or anything. He gave him two commands. One was love everybody, but that's as as spirits. 
not you don't have to like everybody. You love everybody because you realize that we're all in this together. We we all are it together is a more woo woo way to say it. And the other one was tell the truth. And Ramdas had all this anger. Still, he still might. I don't know. But you know, we all have our feelings. And he was like, you need to. So it's these like conflicting reports. How do I love everybody and tell the truth? And but he gave him a paradox that he's been unwrapping his whole life. Yeah. Is how can I instead of one of the things Ramdas said to me about comedy was he was like. Don't do comedy, like be comedy, be comedy. So it sounds like for a year and a half, you were just being. Instead of the brain always wants to do yeah. things, you were just sort of flowing. You were in the Tao. The yeah, I was. Yeah. It was crazy. <laughs> no, I mean, it was stone cold crazy. And then if, it, it, it was stone cold crazy. It was. It was. I believe it. And I was really, uh, and I've been... Always kind of, I've always wished that I could have somehow uh, kept it. Yeah. You know, that I that I uh, let it slip away. But th- didn't it feel like your real self? Yes. That's a very leading question, but I, I have no, a No, it did. It, it felt, felt like your real self. It That's felt, why it's strange. It felt so- absolutely um, as if I was, uh, I, I've never been that comfortable. Yes. You're not, spirituality or all these things... You're not learning something as much as I feel like you're unlearning all this stuff. You inherited all of this, well, I should say this, or I want to be liked, and I think this is socially, blah, 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 all this thinking. But like when you're in your natural state, you feel like you're coming home. That's why I thought it was very strange the first time I took psychedelics. I was like, I feel like I'm home. And Ramdas had the same experience, because you were in your unthinking, yeah. natural self you don't have to take psychedelics to get there obviously but that gave me a glimpse that i was like oh there's like a natural spacious free place and when we go there and when we drop all of the i'm lewis black and lewis black talks like this and lewis black is this kind of son and he's this kind of friend and he's this kind of man all of that gets dropped away and you're still there it's this very natural homey place it's our it's our it's what all the great mystics would call your true self your soul. No. It's beautiful. It was it sad when it went away? <clears throat> it, it wasn't I wasn't I knew that I wasn't conscious of it. I, I thought I'd get it back. Right. So it, it wasn't sad and it wasn't until later that it was like you got to be fuck. Yeah. You know. Have you considered reading the book again? <laughs> no, I haven't. I did read some of it a, a while back. I did read some of it. Uh, really? About 20 years ago, I picked it up, and I went, no. Yeah. It didn't have the... Because when I picked it up and read it, it was literally like, the, you know, the lights went on. Yeah. That's really interesting. Somebody just gave my daughter, my brother-in-law just gave my daughter this book. This is an asinine story, so I'll keep it brief. I remember being like eight years old, seven years old, and finding this book called There's a The Monster at the End of the Book. It's a book by Grover. He's trying to... Yeah, I think Grover wrote it. <laughs> Grover. It's one of Grover's early works. And anyway, it's one of these books where there's a twist at the end. It's not a spoiler. It's a children's book. It ends up that the, the monster is Grover. So the whole book, you're kind of scared. Right. And then you realize the whole time Grover was there, Grover's a monster, and he's like, it was me. And it's this really kind of like, a, it's like a joke. It's like a setup and then a punchline. Right. Remember when I, I found it when I was seven, very profound memory, I found the book and I read it and it blew me away. I was alone. It was quiet and I read it and it was just for me. Then later I found the book again and I was like, there's that book that basically turned me on. You know, like I, I don't mean sexually. I mean, yeah. it brought me into the place of wonder and presence. I didn't know these words. I was alive and 
excited. And I read it again, but I knew the punchline. I knew it was fucking Grover, and it did nothing for me. And my heart broke. It's kind of similar oh, yeah, to this book. Yeah. Like, it's not the book. It was this perfect confluence of the Rubik's Cube of everything that you are, the millions, the myriad of formations that you can be internally matched with the correct stimulus brought you home. So reading the book, I'm actually going against what I just said, isn't, yeah. isn't the thing. You're the thing. That was the stimulus that brought you where you always are yeah. and could never not be. It's just our brains that rob us from that experience constantly. And I felt it when I write. I have the same thing when I yes. wrote the three books. I felt the same kind of thing that I was going to trust. Yeah. Uh, it That the books would be, I'm not going to panic. Yeah. Um, and and that kind of, so those, in the, but in, outside of that, in terms of uh, life in general, it, now I go, you know, if I, have, if uh, it's like if I'm sitting around a table with 12 people, I worry to make sure, I'm, I'm always still go back to that person who make, wants to be sure everybody's having a good time. Yeah, I you, hear that. You know. But you feel and like, not that I'm really that nice, <laughs> but that's what the fuck I am. No, they're nice and neurotic. Yeah, yeah, they're they're yeah, similar. Yeah, yeah. It's very similar. Yeah, it, it the is, most it's true. sometimes nice people will really put you off because you just want to be like, "Will you fucking relax?" Yeah, like the the, the people that write you the email because they had too much wine at your party, and I'm like, "Yeah, I I've had too much wine before. Yeah. Like, you don't have to make this about you, yeah, Dan. Like, I don't need this. I'm going to mark this as spam." But when you write, you get, you've had the experience, I have to imagine, especially writing dialogue, where you're a conduit, where something is flowing through you. Yeah. I, I feel like that's the easiest way to get creative people to kind of glimpse and remember what unfortunately has sort of been marginalized and put over here as spiritual stuff. But that is a very like, where the fuck is this coming from? And occasionally, I do these things occasionally, I get up to speak and I feel that. Yeah. Because you write from stage. Yeah. That's an act of faith. Yeah. And it happens. And I find that, you know, in, in situations other than just being on stage performing, it's like when I'm hosting something and I think, yeah. what am I going to say? And then it's just, and I have no notes and I go up there and it's like, right. And then I go, who the fuck? It was just, you got, said that? you got out of your own way. Yeah. I feel like that's, that's another name for spirituality is getting out of your own yeah. way. And it's not, as Ramda says, it's not getting out behind ourselves and pushing, like forcing it. It's actually dropping all of it and somehow allowing a river that was right behind us just to flow. It's so so easy. Has to, he written anything since that? Uh, be here now? Yeah. Yeah. In fact, um, some of the stuff I like, no, a lot of it I like more than Be Here Now. Yeah. But the best stuff, so if you want some Alan Watts that's not that book, so we're not like going to the same oracle, listening to Alan Watts speak will get you there. <clears throat> he has a thing on iTunes called You're It, like you're playing hide and seek or tag mm. called you're it. It's a series of lectures. And then Ramdas has a series of lectures called experiments and truth that I'm, I, I just constantly listen to them. I'm never not listening to them. He has that. And he has one called love service devotion, love service devotion, LSD, which is uh, it's like 16 hours long. I'm just constantly listening to that or experiments and truth. And those are these things where, and I'm not even, this isn't even directed at you. It's just a phenomenon with me is that like I'll be having that day where I'm like, fuck everything, like fuck everything. And then I listen and I go, who was it that was saying fuck everything? Like, and, and here I still am. No matter what's happening, here I still am. Here this still is. There's something greater than the circumstance, or as Ram Dass would say, the passing show 
of, of our lives, the drama and the circumstance. There's this thing that we're all sitting in. We're sitting on it in the shape of a couch. It's one of my favorite Alan wants is he says that like, you could say consciousness is little bits of matter. That's what materialists would say that your brain is matter and it builds consciousness as a survival technique. Or you could look at it the other way and say consciousness uh, I'm sorry, matter is very, very small bits of consciousness, so, which, which you can basically... So we're sitting on... As you were talking, I was having this very weird feeling where I was like, everything in this room is molecules, which we all know, but like we're just kind of floating here. That's, that's true. That's reality. Yeah. If we could see in a certain way... I say this so many times on this podcast because I can't stop thinking about it. It's crazy that there is something within which to be or not be present, which is this, which is reality, which is the whole... Run that by me again. When we talk about being present... Right. Okay, sure. How about just tripping out on the fact that there is something, this, just this, everything around us, within which to be present. That's the real trip. That's the like, I'm being present, but I'm being present. I'm basically putting tuning my radio to something much greater that's happening all around me. That's really way more far out and wild than just centering my mind. Like tuning into what's going on is really the juice. Right. And how do you do that though? Were you to say meditate? Yeah. I think stand up is a great meditation. Yeah. (laughs) I I don't have any, I think I find thinking about it, reading about it, talking about it, listening about it, sharing it with people, creating it. I feel like as we're talking about it here, we're creating it. You're, you're remembering together. That's why I always light up at this part. Is because, and when I do an, a, a show for an audience, I'm like, I just want to see if I can make some here and now for everybody here. Because my jokes, who fucking cares? It's like people don't remember what you do. They remember how you made them feel. Yeah. People don't remember our acts. They might remember some of it. They remember that we were there, that we shared something with them. We created a space called a show. We all had it. Yeah. I had a five-year-old, uh, apparently recently, a family wrote me this thing. I do this thing at the end of the show called the, where I do a live stream that goes throughout the world. Yeah. Do you know about this at all? Yeah, it's called... Uh, the rant is due. Yeah, LiveLewis.com. Yeah, yeah. So, but but what makes that? But uh, so somebody sent in a thing that their five year old was had listened to the uh, Carnegie Hall concert I did mm. and memorized it all. Oh my god! And I went and they said, "Do you think that's wrong?" And I said, "How can I say it's wrong?" <laughs> <laughs> I think it's. <laughs> I said, not only that, I said, "Can he? Can he do it? Can he do it? If he can do it." Um, uh, you know, I'll pay him two thirds and just sit in the back. <laughs> if I got a, if I got a five year old who can do my act. Oh my god! <laughs> so that was pretty wild. Are you gonna do it? No, God, no. <laughs> god, that's just frightening. The idea of a five year old doing my that. I but would. it's, but you know, but it is that uh, you know you kind of go. Uh, I, I just didn't know. Do you think it's bad for a five year old to do this? And I thought I, I don't really. Not if the five-year-old gets it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? If the five-year-old really gets it, then what's the difference in the five-year-old getting physics? Yeah. <laughs> you he learned this. Yeah. Oh, wow. And phys- I, it might even be more impressive. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this we know what to do with. That's wonderful. Yeah. So you don't have any, like, um, you've had your experience, but do you have any framework for this that you want to share? With, with Life? Yeah. What's going on here? What do you mean? In terms of... How I deal with? What do you mean? 
what happens when what you, you die? What yeah. are we fucking doing? I start swearing so you understand me. Yeah. Let me let me say this in your terms. What the fuck are we doing here, Lewis? I have no um I'm gonna speak to Michael in Italian. Lewis, what the <laughs> fuck are we doing? <laughs> I don't really um have a framework uh as of now. I I I kind of stumble from thing to thing. I, I feel like we're um I feel like, uh, uh, God, I, I feel like it's, uh, the, 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 in the end, it, you know, that, the trying to describe it is, uh, the, the, the problem, well, let me go. The, the problem with the church was that it, you, it's the, the, what the church undermined was the, um, was the magnificence and the uh, and the um, scope of what's going on? Agreed. It became a quick answer. Yeah, I mean, they kind of went, "Okay, we're going to put it into this," and the yeah. and it, and they missed the point too of like a lot of people don't. I you know I I don't really like to get together with people and pray. <laughs> it's just never been. Um, you know what Jesus said about praying. He said, "Go in a room where no one can see." He basically did a bit. He was like, "Nobody needs to see that." Is that right? <laughs> yes, did he really? I didn't said, go in a room. He also said, "When you give, don't tell anybody." Yeah. He had all these things like basically. I love saying this, but if Jesus knew we made a religion after him, he'd be appalled. Yeah. <laughs> he would have been like, he came to reform Judaism. He yeah. came to point out yeah. how we were missing Judaism. And as I've said a million times, I got this from Reza Aslan. He was like. Buddha came to reform Hinduism. Yeah. All of these guys, all these people that became <clears throat> religions, well, were trying to say, y'all are full of shit, and you're doing it wrong. Well, he's the guy who said, you know, I mean, what he, what he did do is, is he said, okay, okay, which I, I said, because I've always said this about him, was just the fact that whether you, whatever you want to put him, somebody had to come along and say, okay, here are the rules, I'm going to live by the rules. Yeah. And he's the first guy who showed up and said that. Well, that's the, that's the big deal. Right. doesn't make him God, but it certainly makes him a big It's shot. interesting, Lewis. I, I don't want to disagree with you, but what Jesus did even more profoundly was he broke the rules. Right. Because he was always working on the Sabbath, or right. they were picking wheat on the Sabbath. Most of Jesus' interactions with the church are them saying, you broke the law. And then he said, isn't it more important that we... This is oversimplifying it, but isn't it more about this? Isn't it more about yeah. love? Isn't it about the kingdom of heaven here with us? And they were like, but they were nitpicking and trying to get him on legality. And he kept saying, how did this become about buildings and legality? Look at the birds. Look at the fruit on this tree. And shut the fuck up. That's the King James Version. Yeah. <laughs> that's the one. Yeah, that's but I mean, so yes, he was he was a great example, but he he's a lot more iconoclastic than I think people maybe right. even realize. Well, yeah, but that's because your book is so fruity. <laughs> <laughs> He's one of yours. But I think, but I think, How did you guys let us take the biggest, oh, the most famous one? I don't know. It <laughs> always irritates me. From a marketing perspective alone. <laughs> You let you know how much pro Jewish stuff is in the New Testament. They're like Christ came first to the Jew and then the Gentile. There's all this. This is they. It bends over backwards to prove how Jewish Jesus was. Yeah, it constantly 
always talking to Jews, always helping Jews, they're always putting down the Romans. Man, you guys missed the boat. Well, totally. <laughs> you know. Of course, I'm 100% JK. <laughs> Judaism is lovely. Please. No, but we did miss the boat. <laughs> you know. But what do you? We're the we, you know we're the we're the we're the people who don't sell the boat. <laughs> That's, yeah. You rent the boat. Yeah. You're renting it to us. <laughs> rent the boat. I love it. But I think it's it. I'm not really sure. Um, I know that I you know I have just these little moments. I mean, I meditated for a week and way back, and it. And do you mean a week straight, or do you mean you tried it for a week? I did it for a week, a week straight. You meditated for a week straight. This is a hundred years ago. I love you, Lewis. And um, uh, what kind? It was a meditation from a thirteen-year-old guru. Uh, and uh, I've written about this too. Who memorized your act? <laughs> yeah, really. A thirteen-year-old guru. An ex-girlfriend of mine was following him around. A guy, that, another actor that I knew, was following him around. I was twenty-two at the time, twenty-three, twenty-four, and they were following him. And it was just weird to me. And it was at the point in the, when this during the seventies when shit started to b- really break down. Yeah. And uh, so they we moved into so there's Altamont and things are starting to get crazy. Mm. And now people are moving into these either into uh, kind of these uh, uh, cults. Yeah. Or or they prefer uh, intentional community. But yeah, <laughs> okay, no, go ahead. But they're moving into uh, or they're following this. this what was his name? I can't. Urkel? <laughs> I can't even. I can't even remember the kid's name now, at all. Uh, and I. Uh, but what I did do is, so I went uh, to these meetings, and I thought, wow, these they were having these things. They were they discussions. Yeah. With one of those, like a spiritual leader. Now the spiritual leaders that he had wandering around with him were pretty fucking off the hook. <laughs> I mean, they were good. Oh, good. They were good. I thought you meant unhinged. No, no, they were really... But, Real deal. What flavor? Hindu? In, uh, Is this uh, an Indian in, guy? Indian. Yeah. Um, and they believed in this uh, meditation that he was... And the meditation was free. And the, there were these people living in these ashrams who had given everything up to him. Mm-hmm. So, you know, but you didn't have to. You could come in and just get the meditation. Right. And these people were like walking wounded. These mm-hmm. people who are living in the ashram, and they'd ask these questions, and I'm looking around, going, they're, 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 "What made it strange was you mean here's lives the problem with meditation yeah. at that point was is the people were going in to you know I'd watch people deal with drugs, but there was people around who could get them through the drug trip. They were now going on an inner trip, and these fuckers really weren't helping them with this. Mm. So they were having these experiences." And the guys really weren't equipped to help. Without any context. Yeah, no context. Ramdas would say a lot of people with psychedelics jumped to chapter seven when they should have been reading chapter one. Exactly. Or you can also do that through methods, through fasting or meditation right. or whatever. So, so I, so I got, so I watch him. He says, I'm going to meditate now. And he closes his eyes. There were four forms of this thing. And he closes his eyes and goes into one form of meditation. And he goes translucent. 
You saw a man go translucent? Yeah. I mean, you don't completely see through his skin, but my God, he, it changed. I mean, it literally... Holy shit. You, you, that thing you were talking about in terms of the, you know, molecules, you know. Yeah, that, yeah. You know, it, it, we are kind of electro, what do you call it? Uh, magnetic you know, fields. We're electromagnetic fields in part, so you kind of had this sense. I mean, it, and I'm not, a, I'm not fucking nuts. I mean, I don't, it's not like I go, oh, I saw that. I've seen three or four things in my life that are off the grid, kind of. This is. One of them. This goes. You can tell me it doesn't exist. I saw it, so shut the fuck up. <laughs> so I'm sitting there watching him, and then so I then go. So we're sitting there now. We're going to do it, and you, part of it is you take your you you kind of basically force your eyes, not force them, but gently nudge them to look at your third eye. Yeah, this is nuts that I'm sitting here doing this. Oh, so and, you're putting his hands then, over his eyes with one finger on, and his... then you, and one finger on the third eye. Yeah, okay. And I'm wa- and now you're not supposed to watch, but I'm watching, and he's just going around touching people, literally like this, on the forehead, on their finger. Mm-hmm. That's all. And I just wanted to see what he was doing. Now I'm sitting there like this. <coughs> he comes by, um, and he said, "You know, you, he didn't really kind of set you up for like there was no bullshitting setup for this. Uh, he, he 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 didn't you know." He touched, he touched me. Literally, it's like a massive light show occurs. It goes like craziness. Wow. Mandalas and all that stuff. No yeah, yeah. kidding. So that was nuts. Lewis. Yeah. So I was. my favorite conversation <laughs> I've ever had. <laughs> no, this is really nuts. You mean he didn't plant, I'm going to touch you. you. He said there was no power of suggestion. No. These are people with their eyes closed and he went around tapping. Yeah, and, everyone and he gets... tapped me and I, you know, and this went through me. It was like kind of a bit of an electroshock. Shakti. Yeah. yeah. And I, uh. And what's funny is I've written, you know, what's funny is I'm sitting here and I'm kind of talking about it, but I've written about this. I've put this out in the public before. Yeah. yeah. And uh, in terms of trying to explain, you know, all of where my, all the little bits and pieces that have led me to feel there's something uh, that's out there in, in a way in the, and in there. So, so I go and I start doing this. And you sit under, you get under a sheet, which is the way you do it. And you, so the, there's no, and I do it. And now, we do it, and I, each day I do it, and it's fine. And it's, you know, I don't, you know, I'm doing it for the first time. Now, on the fifth of the sixth day, I am going, God, that's weird. It's it's all blue. It's completely blue. I'm looking at completely blue, and I'm breathing, and it's and it smells like oxygen, and it, it it's the air smells like, now I'm sitting in my basement, and I'm going, uh, and it's completely utterly blue you mean behind your eyes is blue yeah i mean i'm doing that thing yeah and what i'm seeing is uh uh and there uh i realize there was a i go um i'm in the sky Hmm. it went on for three minutes i mean i was sitting there going this is really freaky i don't know what the fuck this is but this is really you know, this is really weird. I mean, I didn't have a thought. I just was like, what the fuck's oh, going on? So when on you here? say oxygen, you mean clean air. Clean air. Fresh really air. fresh. You were in the sky. I was in the sky. I was in the fucking sky. <laughs> and I ripped the sheet off and threw it down and went, this is fucked. This <laughs> is completely crazy. And I don't think I can do this because there's nobody around to help me. Whoa. Because if that's what's going on in there, um, I need somebody 
I need a guy. I, and I, it's not somebody who's running around with a 13-year-old. You need a stewardess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you want some better. So it was pretty stewardess. remarkable. <laughs> yes! <laughs> yeah, that's pretty remarkable. Yeah, and I couldn't. But I didn't know what to do after that. I never... So that might have been like an astral experience. Like you, you left yeah. your body and went into the sky. Yeah. Which a lot of people will say that's what's happening at night. That's why we get refreshed by sleep is that we're going up into the... Yeah. That's very woo-woo. But I enjoy that sort of stuff. But you had it lucid. You were there. Yeah. And you experienced it. But you got overwhelmed. It completely overwhelmed me. And, and, but there was nobody... If, if, that, if I felt that they were... That place down there, if that... Uh, ashram if that the group of people seemed to know what the fuck was going on i would have gone back and said hey yeah but i wasn't going to get anything that was right gonna help right you know and uh they weren't the people i kind of trusted because they right. didn't seem to be using much of the can we try the ceiling before this guy do we have to go right to this guy <laughs> i mean it was really wow what was the meditation everybody's gonna want to know I don't, it was just this kid's thing. It's whatever. You're it was. under a sheet. We don't know his name. Yeah. This sounds like you're still doing it. You love it and you don't want no, to. No, I know. don't know. There was a, you put your tongue back in, in your throat and you touch your. Uh, so two fingers, your thumb and your ring finger over your eye. You put your thumb and your, your ring pointer finger, finger on you, your. Yeah, and if you just do that and you just third focus eye. on the third eye. And, you, and, you, and no yeah. mantra? No thought? No thought. Focus on your breath? You, you're yeah, just focusing yeah, on you, you can fo- and focus on your breath, your breath and the third eye. Yeah. And how long were you doing it before you flew the friendly skies? <laughs> Six days. Six days. But how long were you doing it each time? For about uh, half an hour to an hour. Half an hour to an hour. Get the fuck. And straight. It was straight. I believe it. You mean straight, like not on drugs? Yeah, not smoking pot yeah. and doing it. That's fucking. Dope. It was crazy. Yeah, no, I love this. It was, um, but it was right that I forgot about the breath thing. But that was see, it. Lewis, this is it, man. You're gonna do only what's fun. You're gonna you're gonna do the sequel to Inside Out. Is that no. exist? No. The I don't anger do spinoffs. <laughs> you don't do sequels. Well, they never get done. Accepted, never got a sequel. Really? You know that? Oh, movie. right. Of course. Yeah. Because everybody went from you know everybody in that Blake Lively, Jonah Hill. Yeah, um, all the guys in that you know went from that movie, and then we're making three That's million right. dollars. You can't. It's like the Arrested Development later seasons. It's yeah. like we can't afford everybody in the same. They shot. couldn't. Aff- they couldn't afford it. Yeah. So that that and. But this is what you're going to do. You're going to do this. They'll do. So. We got to get some Alan Watts. <laughs> we're going to do some of this tongue in the back, third eye gazing meditation. There was another one with the ears. I don't remember that. There's, there were four meditations, but I can't remember them. Get the fuck out yeah, of here. If you looked up 13-year-old guru, I'm sure you can find it. It's been Googled in my pocket somehow. That's one of my powers. <laughs> is I can't wait to Google this, and it's in my pocket. It is interesting that I'll go, this, this is the method. The truth is, any method, the ego always wants to make it the new sexy, exciting. Oh, Lewis told me about this. I'll Google it. Any method, sitting still, watching your breath. These, they're all sort of family. They're all yeah. brothers. And doing a practice, I think, is going to get some trippy things. I, the only thing I can relate to that is they say sometimes you hear the flute of Krishna. That's a thing. Yeah. So I guess Krishna played a flute. So sometimes you'll hear music. I've meditated to the point where I could have sworn someone was playing a flute. And I was like, turns out someone was just playing a flute. <laughs> My neighbor is Kenny G. He's coming back. No, but like the, to go, 
See, I'm a little bit spiritually selfish, so I'll try to meditate expecting something like that to happen. I, and I'm trying to drop that. And in my book, I explain meditation. And one of the lines that I was glad I included was, try to expect nothing. Because one of the traps is you have these experiences. We love these experiences. They're good stories. And they are, as they should be, these confirmations. They're like miracles. They're little personal miracles, seeing the mandalas and yeah. the colors. Um, but then our ego goes like, well, that means that's a good one. And then we start striving for it and we sort of lose the narrative. The whole point is to not expect anything, but to allow whatever happens to happen. I had a, Sharon Salzberg, um, who was on this podcast is a Buddhist meditation teacher. And I think I was talking about a bad one that I had a bad meditation. She's like, they're all good ones. Like you want to label them. Oh, I didn't go astral. I didn't go into the sky, but really, unfortunately, at the end of the day, we have to resign to the fact that meditation can't always be so sexy and colorful. And what did you, um, what's the meditation? That I was doing with that one? Yeah, what kind of meditation? I like different mantras. Mantras help, especially with brains like, I think, ours, where you're thinking a lot. I like to give it something, something to think about. I think in India, they call the brain the drunken monkey. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just perfect. Eckhart Tolle says, watch your mind. I'm like, the, the amount of Kelly Clarks in my brain is just like, here you go. I'm like, I didn't fucking ask for Miss Independent. Why is this happening? But not just that, like like fake conversations or, or fantasizing. I'm, I'm way better now. Like with this interview, I, I appropriately researched, but I didn't go like, and then I'll ask. I think you can tell. I wasn't like, I'm going to ask him this. And no, it was good. It was a conversation. Yeah, it was a, con- a real yeah. conversation. Yeah. In the past, I might have been like, well, when he sits down, I'll say, oh, 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 oh. Yeah. people must th- think you're angry or whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, so I, I've tried to resign some of that, but there's still all this thought. So I benefit from putting a thought in there. And one of them that I like is I'm a point of light within a greater light. That's a very simple, it's actually a Christian mantra, but that is what we're talking about. That I am a mass of molecules inside of a greater mass of molecules. Now, do you close your eye? I mean, where did you get the meditation from? I started with TM. Which is which is a mantra right. based cl- closing eyes, sitting comfortably, back straight, so you don't fall asleep. And it's also kind of to have your kundalini rise. They right. say that's that's the energy that travels up your spine. So I'm trying to sit with a straight spine, and then nowadays I, I will do like just following the breathing, really focusing on the breath. When the when the mind goes to something else, you just come back to the breath. You just give it one. You want to become single pointed, one right. focus. I only have one focus, and that's my breath. And that's really it. The weird thing about us is you can tell people the greatest mystical secrets in the world. It's it's the internal Rubik's Cube. It's when are you going to be the right alignment for that book yeah. to crack you open or for that meditation to crack you open. So that's why we keep doing it. So I, I was reading in this book called Deep and Simple. It was Mr. Rogers' favorite book, and it's really trippy. People do not know how trippy Mr. Rogers was. This book is fucking out there in a great way. Quoting, Who wrote it? I forget the guy's name. But they yeah, gave I this love book. when young young people forget shit. <laughs> and I just read it. I know that's even better. You know what? I forgot to remember. I never made an effort to go like that's his name. I'm yeah, like I never knew it. But you remember the name of it? It's called Deep and Simple. I recommend it. It's good. And he tells the story where he was with a teacher, and he was like, "Whatever enlightenment you have and have had, or moments that you've had, they're all gifts. They're all grace. They're all." And then he actually says, "They're all accidents." They're basically just accidents. It's a good way to think about it. It's nothing that you did. It's just like it was It was your karma. It was lawful. It was right for it to happen at that moment. And then he said to the teacher, he goes, so why do we do all this study? Why do we do all this practice? Why do we do all this meditation? And he goes, to be as accident prone as possible. <laughs> and I was like, that's fucking it. 
because you never know when you're going to be in your basement yeah. and smell high altitude air. That's funny. I love these stories. What were the other ones? I know you got, you probably have to go, but like you said, three or four fucking trippy ass things. Well, I mean, there's just stuff where you know, the, um, ghosts. <laughs> yeah. No, come on, Lewis. Yeah. Get it. No, just uh, <coughs> we were in this old theater in the uh, in Colorado. We bought it, and we were. 22, 23, it was a whole bunch of us bought this wooden theater built by this guy who died in a car accident. So, and, uh, that doesn't seem relevant. Get to the ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> the death of the guy. So yeah. The Cheyenne Mountain. It was in Colorado Springs. And uh, um, we were living in the theater and uh, we were all downstairs. And then one night we heard the piano playing. Get the fuck in my car. And we went upstairs and, and there was nobody. The piano was played for a little bit and then when we got up it stopped so that um i was with a a weirdly it was one of the things i've learned about white light that i think i learned was was a friend of mine was at a thing called the farm which was uh, a group of one of those communes that came out of the 70s yeah Um, that you remember yeah, Somerville. Oh. It was in Tennessee, and my, a close friend of ours ended up there and followed this. And we were like, "Don't, please, don't do this." Wow. Uh, and it was a community, and this guy Stephen Gaskins, who'd written some really, good, really was a good guide in terms of LSD and psychedelics. He was one of those San Francisco folks. Hmm. And they drove out to, to there, and so I went out, and we were all standing around in this field, and he was. He was standing in the middle of like 300 people, 400 people. And he was telling a, it was uh, chastising somebody in the group. And it was, it was weird. What was going on there was weird. They were doing, they were moving from, he was moving from a two marriage to a four marriage. Okay. You know, where they was, <laughs> now they, they, this was their next in spiritual enlightenment, my, yeah. my, my crank. Yeah. yeah right. We've, so. we've been, we've received guidance. There's going to be more threesomes. <laughs> Yeah. So I'm sitting there looking, and I'm going, um, there's, and this I'd never seen before, there's a white light out of his head. Coming there's, out of his third you know, eye? A, no, no, you know, but, a white oh, light. Like a halo. Like a halo, like the white light that people see appear on people, you know, that kind oh. of. And I'm like, no, that's, what the fuck? I, and I'm seeing it, and I'm going, son of a bitch. So... The Reluctant Mystic, the new well, book by Lewis Black. Well, it's just well. What's irritating is is it's that it's the the energy is coming from the three hundred people watching because what's going on there is not a white light. What I think a white light situation is. Right. So they're looking at a guy who's a white light. Yeah. Oh, if I'm if I'm seeing it, they're seeing it. Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> if it got to the back rows, <laughs> these guys need raincoats. So then they, so it will explain why they're listening to him because he's wandering around with this. Um, and then I went back that night with my friend. And there was a friend of mine and I were visiting there. Uh, he was. We were on our way to uh, from from the where our theater was and going uh, back east and. Uh, and we got in the room, in, in the room, the little room we were staying in. And I said, uh, I'm going to ask you something. And he goes, I, he said, I know. I think I know what you're going to He said, what? And he said, you saw the white light on his head. He saw the white light. Get in the And that car. was crazy. So it was crazy. So that kind of stuff that people say. Yeah. 
Buddy. And a psychic. I've and there's a psychic that I know that I think has been profound. And I wrote the intro to his book. Really? What's what's their name? His name is Michael Bodine. His sister, his whole family were psychics. Hmm. Echo Bodine is like a major domo psychic. <laughs> when wow. I'm, they're out of Minneapolis, and uh, he uh, and he, he wrote a, It's called Growing Up Psychic. It's just a great book from the standpoint of the for people who go, you know, it's bullshit. It, here's a guy who treats it as if it's he's a plumber. Yeah, he's not. <laughs> It's like I'm seeing these people. I'm, I see dead. Because whenever I call him, I say, I say, how are you doing? He goes, I see dead people. How do you think I'm doing? Wow. And he goes, <laughs> but he writes it. He goes, you know, I'm dealing with this stuff. And he Bruce writes it. With a it's a really humor. good book. I mean, it's, it's a remarkable book written by a guy who's not a writer. And what's incredible is, is that he wrote it in his voice. I mean, it's really well. It's like, like a com- he, did, he did well. Yeah, really well. And yeah. it's really a good solid explanation of what it must be like to to wow. deal with this without like trying not trying to sell you on it wow just this is what my life has been like and he went to a friend of mine he was sitting with a friend of mine and uh he said uh he didn't know who i was i wasn't on the daily show i was nothing it happened uh and nothing had happened and uh he said uh to my friend uh Tam, he said, uh, you, you know, your friend, uh, you, you st- stop worrying about your friend Louis Black. He's going to be very successful. Wow. And uh, she said, what? And she said, well, you know, I know you're worried about him, and he's going to be really successful. Get and it. everything's going to be fine. That car. And so she, she called me. So I went to the town. I got there, and I, I was like, you know, I, I, you know and I, I went and saw him just to talk to him. And then he told me my, my, then I discovered that my brother had cancer. He's the first one who said how bad the cancer was. The psychic one. Oh, wow. And so, I mean, I, I and it, he was right. Yeah. Fucking A. And he didn't know that. Right. I feel sensitive asking, were you close? Yeah. And this guy's going, well, it's stage, whatever. He, well, no, he said, you know, your brother has, you know, it's really up to your brother to fight this and he's going to, but it's going to be hard, and uh, and a lot of it was, it was one of those things. If two years later the drug had come out, that would have you know yeah. might have you know it's that you're going to see that for the rest of your lives. You're going yeah. it's just inevitable. Um, I've had too many friends. It's like you know, it's either that they were saved or they weren't. Yeah. Uh, but but the fact that he knew that really was you you know, and then. Where just you know, and it was like one thing after another. Mm. Where he would, and I wasn't paying him. I'm not asking for yeah, this. Plain clothes psychic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We it's like getting just, a doctor to look at a mole at a party. Well, we would just talk, and yeah. uh, I would call him, and we we'd talk about stuff. But I never. But he, I'm sitting playing cards with guys at this uh, theater company that were doing a show, and uh, we're playing cards after the show, and they're all just talking about having children, and at that point, people were saying. There was, you know, you, I should have children at this point. I was like 58 or something. And I was like, um, I don't, I'm not with somebody that I would have children with. And we're closing in on the, the door closes. For, it's 60 as far as I'm concerned. Right. You, I don't care what people say. <laughs> They're full of shit. And that's nonsense. And it's not up for discussion. <laughs> 
in my world. <laughs> 60, the no. Indiana Jones stone wall is down. Well, you don't, a, a child is meant to grow up with you, not grow, you know, yeah. a child's meant to, to, is meant to, you know, grow up with you, not to watch you grow dead. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Give them stuff. Don't bequeath them stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I just think, so I was kind of going, you know, they were saying, you know, you really should. And I said, well, you, you know, I'm not going to just, well, you know, go to the beach, have women lay their eggs on the beach, and then I'll come down like a great sea turtle. What are you fucking, you can't just do this. You do have a sea turtle quality. I, I see that. <laughs> so, so, they, uh, so in the midst of that, we're talking, and the phone rings, and uh, I let it go, and it, uh, you know, and then uh, we finished the the conversation up. We have games done, and we're walking on home. And I take the phone out to listen, and it's him saying, "You know, you shouldn't dismiss having children." Get everybody in the car. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what? Isn't that? You know, there's just no, and that's where you kind of go. Okay. Yes. You can tell me what you think, and I have this. Yeah, yeah. And and has it worked for? I've got it. Is is it worked for other friends of mine? No, yeah. you know, other friends. Well, get me. But it's it's worked for me. Yeah, you know, and it's worked for other people that I know of. Fucking and, crazy. Yeah. Wow. I got to read that book. It's a good book. Would he do the podcast? Yeah. You think he would? Oh, he would in a minute. Really? Yeah, he's great. I would love to talk to a guy that wants to talk about being a psychic as unto a plumber. Yeah, no, he is. He's, and he's a great guy. Really? Yeah. Still in Minneapolis? Yeah. That's so fun. And uh, and he comes out here occasionally. I'll let him know. I'll put us in touch. I will. I, I, like I want to stay in touch with you, too. I, this is so fun for me. This was great. I love this. Yeah. I, we've never met. We've never met. No. Those are always the best ones. You know, really. If I'd always wanted to meet you. Oh, I appreciate that. Because I watched you, and I, and I was like... God, he's so nice. It just irritates the shit out of me. <laughs> well, get to know me. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah, my my sincere pleasure. That what a beautiful episode. One of my all time favorites. Oh, thanks. No lie. Um, we have. Oh, let's plug the thing that you wanted live, Lewis. Uh, yeah. Uh, what is it, Lewis Black Live? Lewis Live. I believe it's live Lewis. Live Lewis. Live Lewis. Because I roasted you in my head. I said he couldn't get Lewis Live done. <laughs> Who knows live, what LewisLive.com is? Live it's Lewis, Richard Lewis's website. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's LiveLewis.com. If you go to LiveLewis.com, uh, you can write in rants to me. Yeah. And especially when I'm, if you if you go to my website, when I'm coming to your town, the chances of me uh, reading your rants. So if I'm coming, I'm, I'll be, you know, if I'm coming to Minneapolis, if I'm coming like this, this weekend, I'm in Thousand Oaks, so I've been yelling at people. <laughs> I'm in Milwaukee next week. I yell at people. Just send in your stuff. Yes. Um, Personalized rants. And you just write about, and I don't care. It can be about anything. If it's about the city, great. If it's about, I've had people, I've had six different phenomenal rants on pickles. I've had people, <laughs> two or three rants on the ketchup on a hot dog. I mean, we're, and the level of anger is staggering. <laughs> And the whole thing was always kind of done so that it's like, um, as far as I can tell, it, it, it's really about producing a show that comes out of that town. Yeah. It it's becomes written, their show. It, it, yeah, it's written by them and for them. And You wrote I, Our Town. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's what happened. Yeah. You're doing a revamp of Our Town. And they, what's it. great is that uh, the writing is 
at times spectacular. Wow. Some yeah. of it is really uh, off, off, off. It's just like I'm shocked. Well, you're writing a rant for the rant guy. Yeah. I mean, and they kind of them. pick up like the writers on the daily. You know, I'm not I'm not difficult to write for. Yeah. 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 No, I can skip lunch. <laughs> I know how to find your voice. Skip lunch and have too much coffee. That's an oversimplification, of course. Uh, well, what a wonderful time. We end with the guest saying the catchphrase. It, it means nothing. It's not a trap. You say keep it crispy, and that's how we end. I say keep it crispy. Yeah. And that's the end. That's how you do it. Okay. You did just say it embedded in the sentence, but you just say it. I'm going to say it. Yeah, okay. But I'm going to approach it in six different ways because I need to know which one you really <laughs> Keep it crispy. There it is. No. Keep it crispy. (laughs) Keep it crispy. There it is. That's what people want. You know what they want. Thank you, Lewis. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks.